Welcome to Shoujo and Tell, where we discuss shoujo manga and tell who's hot and who's not, talk about themes, and just generally geek out. Today, August 19th, 2018, we'll be Shoujo and Telling about the first eight volumes of Fruits Basket by Natsuki Takuya. I'm your host, Ashley McDonald, and I'm joined by Anime News Network editor, Jacob Chapman. Hey, Jacob. Hey, everybody. Oh, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Jacob, you have a long history with Fruits Basket that I'm not even sure I know all the bits of, so I feel that you should tell the audience about your history with Fruits Basket. <laughs> um, well... Jeez, yeah, I it is it is basically going back to uh, how long Fruits Basket has even been in English is, is kind of my history with it. But because uh, I think it was published, um, do you remember when Tokipop first published the first volume? I think it was two thousand four or around there. Yeah, that would be okay. That would be the time. So I discovered Fruits Basket when I was sort of getting into anime for the first time in middle school. And, um, you know, it was certainly the it's funny because uh, when I first read Fruits Basket, I was the age of the youngest characters. And now I'm like, I guess the age of the oldest characters, um, a little older than most. I think they're all 27 and I'm technically 28. So, you know. <laughs> uh, so, you know, wow, how time flies. Right. So this would be first... true of me, too. Yeah. Oh, boy. OK. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Everybody jokes make. Everybody jokes about Shigure being old, and it's like, oh, no, I'm one year older than him now. Yeah, we're old. That's fine. <laughs> we're old. Oh, no. Anyway, so um, uh, my my history with Roost Basket is when it first uh, started being published in English by Tokyo Pop. Um, I had a lot of uh, friends who were really into it, and they're like, oh, you should read this. If you're like kind of into anime and manga, you should read this. And um, at that point, I was I really hadn't fully diverged and in, divulged into being like fully an anime fan and reading like not that much manga because I don't. I'm kind of illiterate when it comes to manga. I read some of the biggest stuff, but that's about it. Like right now, I'm I'm reading Attack on Titan and To Your Eternity, and that's kind of it. So, um, but I was I was really intrigued by it, and so I, I started reading it initially because I was like, oh, fairy tales and animals, I like those things. Yeah. And um, yeah, there, a lot of the other shoujo manga were more about like just sort of high school antics and like a celeb, oh, a celebrity high school. I really couldn't get into like Boys Over Flowers or Skip Beat. Skip Beat was really big when I was in high school. Um, and I tried, but I, I wasn't as interested in them because I kind of liked the the supernatural element of Fruits Basket and, and that it wasn't it wasn't really about love triangles, that it was kind of about complicated family relationships and, um, you know, hardships in, in school and in life and stuff like that. So even though there was a romantic subtext to it, it didn't really start that way. So I, I dug it and I was uh, I was into it and I thought it was fun. Um, and then I uh, the anime was the first anime that I ever bought uh, on video. And so I and I had to sneak Aww. it because it wasn't allowed. So I had these I had these old like really crappy dual layer seven episodes on each DVD uh, release from Funimation, and I got it in the collector's edition box, which is just kind of a it, it, it was it was um, it was like a folded cardboard like sort of book thing that like clunked <laughs> open and you would fit four individual DVDs in there in their respective cases. Um, it wasn't very fancy, but uh, yeah, uh, I had it for a long time. And um, but I, I was just really into it and I would uh, read a lot of it again for the for the men for the reasons I mentioned before. But then as it went on, I was like, oh, this is dark. Like this is gruesome. Like by the time I was getting in high school and we're in the like the published volumes that we won't necessarily be coming today, but like most of the ones that actually come after volume eight, I was like, oh, oh, my God. And um, yeah. I think, you know, and it really stuck with me because as I got older, the books did kind of age with me and it informed a lot of um, I think 
a lot of what a lot of things that I kind of believe on a deep level emotionally. Like um, Fritz Basket, a lot of uh, a lot of the way almost every chapter ends is talking about an emotional problem and how you work through it or how how you come to terms with these emotions and what it means about you and your place in the world or what it doesn't mean about you and your place in the world and stuff like that. And I, for, for better or for worse, I, I agreed with a lot of Natsuki Takia's uh, stance on this stuff as spoken through Toru or through other characters when even Toru has problems that she doesn't understand and needs emotional support from people. And so, um, yeah, as I got older, every time I've ever gone back to it, it's only ever gotten better and better. Uh, with the new translation, I looked at some of these scenes and they make even more sense like emotionally and it's more com- it's a more complex image than I thought when I first read it and yeah I think um and eventually over time it became more definitively like my favorite manga and I think it probably will be forever because even if I read a manga that and I have read manga that I know are better quote-unquote or more like you know distinguished or something like nothing well nothing meant to me emotionally what Fruits Basket meant to me emotionally at a formative time in my life like there are i think every single chapter of fruits basket there's something that like helps me as a person which is i I, how can you top that like it's not that it's the best manga of all time but i don't think anything will mean more to me in manga form so that's my been my history with it and along the way oh yeah i left this out right you left out a big part here i left out a big thing so when i was uh, 20 or so, yeah, t- from the time I was 20 to 22, I made a radio drama version of Fruits Basket uh, just, just for free out of out of my own my own time. And, you know, um, the, Patreon didn't exist back then, so there wasn't really a, mm. a way to get, like, you know, like enough money to support actors or to musicians and stuff like that. I just – I was surrounded by um, really wonderful people who helped contribute to this thing. I thought really – really like great talented actors amateur actors who um just really knocked it out of the park uh playing all these parts and i got the sound effects library together and then amazing like just dropped into my lap this guy uh, ken clayton who was like hey i'll just make music for you and it's really it's pretty good music i i mean i'm i'm uninformed on this stuff like i'm i don't make music myself but i was i was like really moved by the stuff that he came up with and just gave to me used for this radio drama and it was always just sort of a little thing that like you know a couple thousand people listened to it wasn't it was it was small considering what i was doing at the time which was making money off of youtube and and blip which is a a not youtube thing that used to exist uh talking about anime and this was like a side thing that made me no money and not that many people paid attention to but i loved it dearly and would have kept going if i could afford to have done so but i couldn't so i i made 24 episodes that cover the first four volumes of the manga and you know and then i had to stop but um you know that's i think one of the most fun like the proudest one of my proudest little accomplishments that i just sort of made for me and for people who love that story so yeah, and people can still listen to it. I saw they had a lot of comments that were like, I love this. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a long time ago. And, and I think that, um, you know, uh, I wouldn't be opposed to doing something like that again in the future, but it would either have to be official or it would be, have to be in some other capacity where I'd be kind of allowed to do it and able to do it and get either paid to do it or or... I don't know. It would just be have something that I could sustain, mm. but um, I'm definitely proud of what I put out there. And yeah, I uh, if you want to link, I will link, I guess, uh, to the archive I have of all those if anybody wants to listen to them. Be warned, they were made in the year 2010. I'm, I'm not actually going to say be warned they're janky because, of course, they're a little janky and they sound a little amateur, but I'm actually... I'm actually kind of proud. I don't think that they're hard to listen to. I'm I'm still proud of the work that I did. What I want to say is be warned because they're problematic <laughs> because ah. I made them in 2010. Um, I believe the R word 
is used once or twice by a character so that's not great and i apologize and there's and there's just some uh, some roughness to it that is i believe in keeping i didn't add anything that wasn't in the manga but the manga it was written in 1997 and is also a little problematic so you know there you go but like if that doesn't bother you i'm i'm still really proud of the work i did on it and you know it made me happy for the time that i got to work on it yeah and i think my own personal experience mirrors yours maybe to a less intense degree because i don't i don't think i've read fruits basket for like a decade like since it ended mm-hmm. i remember mm-hmm. i read it all the way through when once all of it was out and i was like okay and i probably like looked at scenes that are my favorite that come later in this manga like to be like oh cute feelings <laughs> and right, stuff yeah. like that sure cute later in the manga <laughs> yeah it's really cute it's <laughs> so cute also it's so crying. heartwarming what happens <laughs> yeah no i uh reading in press's translation because it's new like i i would think like i'm inured to this i don't feel anything anymore like I do feel things, but like, oh, I'm not going to cry reading this manga anymore. And then I read Yen Press's translation and it somehow makes it feel new to me. And it's like, ah, shit. Like, I definitely cried while revisiting this for the podcast. I cried too. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's powerful should. stuff. And I, um, yeah, the first uh, first eight volumes don't even really get into the, the, I guess, the deep emotions. But even that surface, like that chicken soup for the soul that you kind of need, um, it's very real. And it, you know, it speaks to you. Yeah. And uh, I definitely remember when it was coming out, like as you had to wait months in between each volume, like each volume would come out and I'm like, I'm just sobbing. <laughs> why? Is, yeah, why no, I, I would this? be at the Barnes and Noble. We had Barnes and Noble and Walden Books and I would be uh, Walden Books carried more manga. But I think Barnes and Noble is close to me. I lived in a small town in Kentucky and I would be there and I would get that book because it, it was very important to me. Yeah. OK, so we, I guess we should take a step back in case. People are not 28 and they did not grow up in the yeah, <laughs> boom of... Yeah, grew up in the early 2000s when this was uh, anime fans of the early 2000s. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like there's lots of uh, younger people now who are like, I've heard Fruits Basket is good. I'm like, it is good. What are you talking mm-hmm. about? What is Fruits Basket about, Jacob? Well, and I'm glad that it's in print now because for a while there you would say, oh, it's good, but it's out of print yeah, that's and there's true. 23 volumes. And now there's only uh, 12 and they're in fully in print, so yeah. Well, Fruits Basket is about a 16-year-old girl named Toru Honda, who uh, was raised by her single mother most of her life before uh, her mother dies in a horrible traffic accident. And she, um, uh, because because her mom, again, being a single mom, was excluded from most of the family, she doesn't really have family ties necessarily. The only person she knows that can kind of take her in is her paternal grandfather, and there's problems with that that maybe we'll get into but she's just not really anywhere that she belongs and it's not convenient for her she has two very good and loving supportive friends but she's extremely self-conscious about being a burden or taking advantage of anyone in fact that that's sort of a recurring thing with toru is that she's sort of a sweet cinnamon roll too pure too good for this world like she just doesn't (laughs) want to cause she tries to be positive about everything and she doesn't want to cause anybody any trouble and she's just sort of like this shining beacon of positivity um sometimes to her detriment and so now that she uh no longer has a home she decides well you know i could probably get away with camping in the woods (laughs) Yeah, which sounds insane. And well, and it sounds insane. And that's how the manga opens. The first page is like, all right, here's what you're dealing with. This 16 year old girl has decided that she's going to just live in the woods um, and support herself by working. Uh, Because uh, so those who don't know, there isn't really a public school system in Japan that's uh, you pay to go to school in Japan. 
um, even if it's uh, even if it's not a particularly prestigious school as as Toru's isn't, um, you have to be able to pay your tuition as a high schooler, and she uh, has to pay her own tuition because her mother didn't have anything to leave her. So she works and goes to school in high school and lives in a tent in the woods. And this is where we're starting, and she's just like happy about it. She's like. My home is my castle. I'm taking care of myself. I'm such a strong person. And yeah. it's like, what, what, what are you doing? It's like and tsunami season too or something, right? It and is. Like- it, it's, uh, yeah, well, it's um, the monsoon season where it's raining a lot. Yeah. And uh, there's a, like, a, it's, you know, there's liable to be a landslide in the woods. And that that's eventually the trouble she finds herself in is that uh, eventually a landslide slide sweeps away her tent in the woods. Uh, fortunately, before just before this happens, she found out that she was camping on the property of the Soma family, which is like this ancient, like age, like you think there's old families in America and stuff like that, like old money, uh, you know, there's really old families in Japan. And that's, uh, that's the, the thing is Fruits Basket is a very Japanese story. It's, it's based around a lot of Japanese social mores. And um, even though the emotions are universal, it is really captivating to kind of, it, that it takes a look at like high schoolers in society in Japan modern life versus antiquated life. And the Soma family is this very ancient, traditional family, and they own a lot of shit. They're filthy rich. And so um, there's this uh, cottage in the woods where she was camping that happens to belong to one of the members of the Soma family, who's who's sort of like a dirty old man. I say dirty old man, he's 27. But like he's sort of- <laughs> But a, he's old, remember? Yeah, yeah. He's a he's a lazy lech is more the, the, the he's, he's a writer by trade. So he just sits around, doesn't shower and, and writes books all day and he's very handsome but he just he wears like a traditional kimono and stays in his house and doesn't really uh (laughs) do anything and but he but he lives in this house away from the estate and he finds uh toru there and he sees that this mudslide has swept away her tent and uh he offers to let her stay in his house with his two cousins uh who are uh toru's age which means we're gonna have our love triangle between the two cousins yuki and kyo who absolutely hate each other. And Yuki is sort of the classic, like, princely, dignified, beautiful, perfect, uh, honor roll student who everybody, who all the girls adore. And so they immediately hate Toru for spending any time around him. And Kyo, his cousin, is this rowdy, mean, like, acts like he's 13, even though he's 16 punk kid who swears a lot and throws things and breaks things has a terrible temper tantrum and um just kind of went missing from school so you have the bad boy and like the prince and (laughs) um and all that seems like okay that's a pretty typical shoujo setup right all right so here's where it gets weak it turns out that the very ancient soma family is under a curse whereby 13 members of the family in each generation, basically, as soon as one dies, another person has to take up the curse, are cursed by the 13 spirits of the Chinese Zodiac. And there's 13 because there's an old fable about the cat um, being one of the animals to be left out of the Zodiac because he got tricked by the rat and didn't show up to like the party where they're all inducted into the Zodiac. And um, so that holds true for the curse, which means uh, Yuki is the rat, which is the most blessed and the most providential of the uh, of the Zodiac animals, which is also why he's so good at everything and so incredibly handsome. And Kyo is the cat, <laughs> which means uh, which means he's the um, the black sheep of the family. Not, I guess, the black cat of the Not family, actually, right? Not actually. Yeah. yeah, there is a sheep, but that's a different character. And, um, you know, and uh, so you have a rat and a cat and just for funsies a dog because Shigure is the dog of the family and he's just trying to keep everybody together and like keep them from wrecking his house and starting too many fights and he's just kind of the irresponsible but lovable uncle in this sort of 
wild living situation. And so that's the situation Toru finds herself in is uh, she finds out about this curse, which will activate, like they will reveal their animal forms if they get sick or emotionally weak. Uh, it depends. Like it, if they're weak in body or spirit, uh, both hold true, then they'll transform. And also if they are pulled too close, they say embraced, but it's really like anything more than like <laughs> your hand touching their shoulder. If you get too close to them at all and you're a member of the opposite sex, they transform. And so it's a very awkward situation because that means, uh, you know, they're going to run into each other and you're going to have cats and rats and dogs running around in mass hysteria. And, uh, <laughs> And so Toru has to do her best to keep their secret and take care of them. And um, that's that's the basic premise of the story. And as, as, as it progresses, she meets more members of the family and starts to realize that the curse isn't just about turning into cute animals when you accidentally run into a girl. There's something more sinister to it, and she doesn't really understand why it's called a curse necessarily. So she just kind of tries to make their lives better and she feels very blessed for having a place to stay and for getting close to these, you know, very fun loving and eccentric and exciting and exciting rich family. And that's the premise of Fruits Basket. Yeah, I feel like there are a lot of people who look at the premise and they're like, that seems cute. Like, it's a reverse harem. Like, I mm-hmm. want to read that. That'll be fun. And I'm like, you don't know the devastation you're <laughs> <in> for. <laughs> right, right. It's, um, and it does start out cute. And I think that a lot of the, the early messages, people will probably immediately notice that, like, there's a formula to Fruits Basket where the first half of every chapter is sort of like sitcom jokes, where it's, it's like uh, kind of playing on everybody's personality to like elicit some kind of joke about like, haha, Kyo's dumb or uh, Yuki is, has a complex about overlooking feminine or Shigure is lazy and lecherous <laughs> or whatever the case may be. And Toru's clueless, right? Uh, mm. She's well-meaning, but not very b- bright and, you know. Uh, so, so, and they bounce off each other, but then you find out that this is all leading to all these jokes. Natsuki Takia, even in the early chapters, which are less... Uh, cohesive and like intensely thought out than the later chapters um, she doesn't really put anything in there for nothing like she likes to pay off almost every little thing that she puts in there even what seems like kind of a joke and usually the la- last half of the chapters the first half will be like sitcom hijinks and the last half of the chapter <laughs> will be like okay now we're going to focus on one of these characters Kyo or Yuki or Toru or Toru's friends or one of the other somans not so much Shigure but we'll get to that Shigure doesn't have really a, a vulnerable moment uh, up front but like all the other characters the second half of a chapter will be having a vulnerable moment with them where you discover that they have a complex over something or they were hurt by somebody before or there's a coping mechanism they have in life that is unhealthy and Toru kind of addresses it not purposefully she's not trying to be their therapist she just had a really good mom and that's kind of what <laughs> right so that's uh, as far as we know I you know we'll get to that later but in, as of the first eight volumes Toru had a very loving um, single mother who uh, impressed upon her just all these valuable emotional things for how to deal with hardship in life and you know she was just a really good mom and so Toru kind of unintentionally just talking about her mom and how much she loved her and the things that she would impart to her helps the Somas deal with their problems because the Somas don't have loving parents which is an interesting aspect of the curse is they may you know it is weird that like Uncle Shigure is living with his two distant <laughs> uh, male cousins in this house in the co- in the countryside right and not the countryside but like the woods neighboring the small city right it's weird that they don't live with their parents or even mention their parents we don't meet Yuki or Kyo's parents for the entirety of these first eight volumes we never meet them and they're very mm. rarely talked about and so it's like oh okay um you know this family's weird and these people have trauma and they're not ready to talk about it, but it's like healing one chapter after another little aspects of what they, um, 
of the damage that they had. And without even meaning to, Toru certainly isn't trying to solve their problems. But as time goes on, she realizes, maybe I should be trying to solve their problem. Is there something I should be doing about the curse? And that is um, kind of the central crux of the plot is like, is the curse just a cute, fun thing? Or is should something be done about it? And what can one or, you know, one not very bright or talented orphan girl do against this legacy of a family that has existed for centuries, you know? She can heal their hearts. It's fine. She She's good. Yeah. Okay, I feel like it's very important. There are many somas. There are many characters in mm-hmm. this manga. Mm-hmm. I feel like for people who do do know it, it's very critical to know who your favorite soma is. <laughs> I'll go first. Mine is Kyo. Mm-hmm. I know that's very stereotypical, <laughs> but I really do love him. Mm-hmm. I think that he was the one who you know, resonated the most with the struggles that I had myself personally. Mm -hmm. I very much felt that all of my friends were like smarter than me and came from like parents who were better than mine. So like Yuki is the ones who's like, I'm just perfect. I was like, I'm just naturally a genius or whatever. Right. And he's very confident about that. He owns it. Yeah. And Kyo is the one who's struggling, trying to be like, I work hard. I'm just trying to live. Why y'all hate me? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, screw you. If you hate me, I'm, I'm going to um, continue to exist without you, with, which seems very strong, but it is in truth kind of a cover up for how he really feels about himself. And, uh, yeah. and he has lots of anger problems. He likes to play He has things. lots of anger problems. I definitely had anger problems, too. That's fine. I still have anger problems. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I relate to that as well. Jeez, uh, I mean, favorite Soma is really difficult because it kind of, it's... it's like, I love all of them so much. I love all of them so much. And that sounds like a cliche, but this is one of those stories where I love, I can't think of a character I don't like. I even like the student council characters, which don't appear, oh, they, they, they get a cameo, they get a peek in, in volume eight. They but have a chapter, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I love every single character in, in Fruits Basket, but for the Somas, you know... I feel like a bad person, but it's true. I think I've always most resonated with uh, Shigure. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it was because um, I understood. So Yuki and Kyo, I relate to their dysfunction similarly because I also, like Yuki, had a had a, a trauma response. I, I grew up, I just get this out here right now, one of the reasons that Fruits Basket means so much to me is I also grew up in an abusive household with rich parents. It wasn't like a you know, stereotypical alcoholic fist swinging sort of situation. It was sort of a cult-like situation. And the Soma family is very much like a cult. Um, Mm -hmm. They're very rich and privileged and um, have a lot going for them. But emotionally, it's uh, it's all f***ed up. Like there's no there's no healthy emotions going on in the Soma family at all, despite their uh, their providence on the outside, uh, which is why it's so hard for them to ask for help. And so I related to like Yuki's. I guess, response of shutting down to to situations, to emotional abuse where he just wouldn't respond and kind of lock up and, and feel like he, he could no longer remember how to speak. Um, mm-hmm. And I understood that. But I also understood Kyo's anger problems. Uh, he rages and just gets angry over absolutely nothing, over uh, things that he's not really angry about. Like he's angry about something else, but he'll break something or he'll freak out or get mad at someone over something he doesn't actually care about. And so I related to both of those things, even though they seem opposite, like, you know, people contain multitudes and you can relate to so many different characters. But I ultimately, I was always drawn to Shigure most because Shigure had gone through the phases that these others had gone through, but he came out of it sort of 
very crafty and, and bitter and scheming and doing everything that he can. So we don't know what Shigure is scheming exactly as of the first eight volumes, but we know very early on, and this was cut from the anime, which was sort of weird. In the anime, Shigure really serves no purpose but to be a comic relief and kind of an emotional support. But in the manga, it's clear from early on that his purpose, the reason that he's there in this love triangle or outside of this love triangle is that he is planning something that he mm. he wants Toru to stay with him as to stay with these two boys because he's up to something. Um, and it's something selfish. He talks about uh, the whatever he's up to, it might hurt the kids involved uh, and they might hate him for it, but he's willing to do it regardless. And so, um, you know, I, I certainly don't condone that behavior or relate to it, but I do, I did relate to Shigure's kind of over it thing, I guess, as I got older, it was like, I'm, mm. I'm over, I'm over punishing myself for for my family or for other people who treat me badly i'm going to do something about this and i approved i guess it wasn't so much that i um related shigure it was more like he was aspirational in an anti-hero kind of way like he's not yeah. he's, he's a little bit of a villain he's not a great person but he's really strong because he's been through all this bullshit and he is uh we can't reveal why but he points out that something makes him very different from the other zodiac members he considers himself more cursed than any of the others, which you can agree or disagree with once you find out why he's saying that. But um, he is a in a unique position to the other Zodiac members in that they cannot relate to him at all in this very unique position that he's in. And so he has decided to do something with that and like, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to do something about this, even if it's hurtful. And even if it's even if it makes everybody hate me, I have to do this because I'm not going to sit around and waste my life feeling bad and letting this family control me anymore. And I thought that that was really cool. And 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 that's just, that's the dark side of him that's sort of in secret, that's seen only to his closest friends and in, in spare chapters. But the, the side of them that we mostly see is just he's really funny. He just, he's always he making jokes. He's, he's there to lighten the mood in every circumstance. And he likes playing with people in, usually his manipulations are positive, right? It's like usually he's manipulating people in a way where he's trying to help them. And, he, and he's trying to push them. And he's, he's just kind of playing hardball with people. Like, I'm going to push you out of your comfort zone because you need it. You know, and he offered Yuki a place to stay in his house. And I think that that's, uh, that's kind of a big deal because nobody was reaching out to help Yuki before Tori showed up. And he said, hey, you can live with me. Um, and that was, that was huge. Without that, Yuki wouldn't have been able to move on. He needed somebody to tell him, you don't have to live in the estate anymore. Um, so, you know, I think Shigure is, you know, a crafty bastard. Um, and I, and I, I dig that about him. I think he was really, he's interesting and fun to watch. So I don't think, I think other, the other characters are more lovable and you wouldn't be friends with them and you wouldn't want to be <laughs> yeah. friends with Shigure. You don't want to be friends with Shigure, but he's in, in this story full of nice people and hurt people. You need, you need a mean bastard. You need somebody who's like, I'm not going to take this anymore and I'm going to solve this problem. So I think Shigure is maybe my favorite. I, I, it's hard to say, but <laughs> he's certainly the one that I like to owe you. Like I like to, I kind of like to read his stuff over and over, I think. Interesting. You've convinced me about Shigure. He's definitely very funny and everybody is funny around him, which is fun. Mm. And uh, he stirs the pot. Yeah. Certainly the machinations of 
you know, him being like, Kyo, you're going to live here too. And then I'm just going to make you fight with Yuki all the time. At least you guys are talking. Isn't that fun? Exactly. <laughs> and, and he's like, you know, you guys are talking like the You can't be, I think he knows that you can't be ragingly angry at somebody all the time. He was like, in the past, Kyo and Yuki would meet each other and it was just, it would be bloody. It would be bloody every time. And now because they're forced to live with another, with one another, you can't do that. Even if they haven't resolved their emotional issues, because that's going to take time. You can't, do that all the time you would be exhausted you have to just kind of get used to be like okay i can spend time around this person without ripping their throat out you know you just got to get used to it and he's he's forced that situation which is you know ultimately for the best i think because toru is there and because toru is helping them uh it's not just them at each other's throats <laughs> yeah. that wouldn't that wouldn't be good so Tori is fun because she's always like, do I want them to fight? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, I guess this is okay. <laughs> she, she comes around on it. It's, it's funny, but I think that's, that's a, uh, it's kind of in a throw away chapter. It's not really, they go camping in the woods. I, I know they already live in the woods, but they go like camping, camping <laughs> yeah. in, a, in a different, you know, in the mountains specifically uh, at one point. And that's the turning point for Toru where for the first time she's happy that they're fighting. And in the past, Toru's role was always like, please don't fight you two. Please don't fight you two. And it would get monotonous. And at some point she's happy when they're fighting. Cause she was like, you know, this is just how you are. And it's become benign. It's become harmless. Because they're yeah. not hurting each other. They're just expressing their feelings. They're like, they can't help but hate each other. They're going to continue to hate each other until they resolve that. But it's better than bottling it or, you know, and in the, in the case of this specific part of the story, she was upset because they were, they had just visited her mother's grave together for the first time and they were depressed afterward and she didn't know why. The reason is spoilers. They're both depressed for completely different reasons that we won't find out. We won't find out for books and books and books. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it's never even covered in the anime, which is funny. Like the story is covered in the anime and we never find out why they're upset. So she's just like, all right, they're fighting, but you know what? They're getting their feelings out and this is normal for them. And I'm just glad that they're, you know, that they're being themselves, you know, and maybe it'll, they'll get along better over time, but that's not really something I have to force. It's nice. It's like little things like this. This is a sitcom where there isn't really a status quo that gets monotonous. Things are always changing just a little bit in every chapter, I think. Yeah. And at some point you realize like, you know, Yuki and Kyo kind of fight and feel that they have to hate each other because they're like, this is crucial to my identity. Mm-hmm. And it slowly becomes like, oh, maybe this doesn't have to be crucial to my identity. will become like a central plot point. But uh, yeah, I guess we should talk about like anime and where you can read this because I think that those are important. Uh, you can currently buy Fruits Basket from Yen Press. They have re-released it. Uh, it is in 12 omnibuses. It's very interesting because I've had at least two people respond to my tweets about Fruits Basket being like, where can I get it in like single volumes though? And I'm like, well, you can buy the old Tokyo Pop because it was initially published by Tokyo Pop. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can probably hunt find those, those down. Use- yeah. yeah, you hunt those down. They're, they're around. I still mm-hmm. have them. But yeah, also the anime is available from Funimation. And I would say if you have watched the anime... You can probably follow most of this podcast discussion, but then after the next two podcasts will be in Yeah, then it's going to get dicey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you should read the manga because it only, yeah, the anime only covers the first eight volumes or so. And that's what's up. That's not enough. <laughs> you don't know <laughs> yeah. anything about these people yet. No. And, and it isn't, it, it doesn't cover them faithfully necessarily. It cuts out any, so like I said, it cuts out the scene where Shigure has a conversation with Hattori about how he's scheming, about how he's got a, a wager going on with the head of the household, Akito, which we haven't mentioned Akito, but he doesn't show up all that much. Um, he's just, he's just this 
figure of fear and domination. He's like the he's not a villain because he's not actively hurting anybody in the story that we can see because he's you know he's closed up in his mansion and everybody else is moved is is living in this cottage away from the mansion basically because of him um but he is like a he's like a thing that eventually we're gonna have to address he's like the snakes in the pet shop in peewee's uh big adventure where uh you know like you you keep coming back around to it and it's like oh we're gonna have to deal with him eventually oh we're gonna have to deal with him eventually but for now he's just like this dark cloud of (laughs) of like i own you i control you i can take everything away from you at any time but i'm gonna wait and that's what he does and it's very threatening anyway the anime took out all those scenes it took out it it took out anything that it would have had to explain as being part of a plot or mystery in the future and just sort of kept in the sitcom stuff which is fine but it is uh you know um, if you're wondering why the guys are really depressed when they go on that camping trip with Toru in the anime, well, it's never explained. You're never going to know. You you're never going to know. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's in the manga, though. And it's, uh, you know, it's that whole graveyard scene was very different in the manga. Yeah, I mean, we got an anonymous ask on Tumblr to discuss the differences in Shira's portrayal between the manga and the anime. And mm. admittedly, I have not watched the anime also in a long time, but I assume mm. that most of them stem from this Like, they didn't know what was going to happen with Akito. Spoilers, like, lots of things happen with Shigure's relationship. Yeah, according to Takuya, they they knew insofar as she told them what the seeds that she was planting for this stuff was setting up, but Uh. then they just took it out. So, you know, because they took it out because I think they knew that they weren't going to pay it off. They were like, well, this is 26 episodes and it is on a micro budget. That show's visuals have (laughs) not aged well. And um, I think they they were like, let's not set up anything we can't pay off and let's take out anything that's a little too dark and mysterious. So that's what they did and that's fine. As this affects Shigure's portrayal, it's not as obvious in the first eight volumes, but it'll be more obvious down the line. Um, I would just say in the anime, he's just sitcom uncle. He's just sitcom dad. And he, he just makes jokes and is occasionally he's revealed to be smart and manipulating them in ways to help them but he's never anything but benevolent in the manga he's not benevolent at all <laughs> i would say he's he's much meaner he's still funny and he still makes funny jokes but there's always a scene afterward where it's like he's up to something and it's not tee he's up to something it's what in, what is what is he doing yeah, it's like he it might destroy Toru's upsetting. soul kind of thing. Yeah, like, he's talking about doing something that will really hurt these kids. And we don't know what it is, but it's something he says he has to do because otherwise he just can't keep living. So it seems he, he does feel remorse about it. Again, he's not a villain. He's just like, look, rock in a hard place. I have to do this. He's like, this will be better. It'll hurt some people, but in the end, help more people. So like, let's do it. Yeah. And, and I get what I want, which is what he said. I think he obfuscates. He's like, I get what I want. But really, he does care. But he says, but, you know, he's like, look, it doesn't matter if I care or not. I know I'm doing this for me, you know, which is good. You know, self-awareness. If you're yeah. if you're self-aware about being terrible, that is a little better, I guess. You know, who knows? You're doing it with knowledge, you know, you're not doing it out of ignorance. You know what the consequences are going to be and you yeah. accept them. You yeah. Know? So sure. Whether that's good or bad is different. But yeah. Yeah. We also got a question from Twitter about the differences between the translation. So Snooper Snazzy, Super Snazzy on Twitter said, what are the most notable changes in comparison to the Tokyo Pop versions for the Yen Press versions? Uh, is the new tr- translation more accurate to the Japanese version or the changes made to better suit an American audience? Uh, do either of you have a preference for one publication over the other? You, I think, did a more heavy... A comparison of the two. I just read your comparisons, <laughs> truthfully. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, and I read like some select scenes to see how they were different, but. 
Yeah, I uh, and I continued doing that, by the way. I did it for the first six chapters, and uh, by the time this is up, uh, there will have been more chapters. I, I, I just wanted to work ahead for a while. I was like, oh, I, I need to go ahead and work ahead before I continue doing this. But I do mm. wanted to com- want to compare the chapters between these versions, and honestly, I don't have a preference. I keep mm. going back and forth. Sometimes I like Tokyo Pops better. Sometimes I like Yen Presses better. But the, the differences are definitely there's a consistency in, in the approach between them, which is that Yen Presses is much more faithful. I mm. think that uh, Yen Presses, I can't say much more faithful. Both of them are good translations. I don't think either of them really betrays the intent in any significant way. Like, it's just it's just if you're really a huge fan and you care about the minutia, then Yen Presses' uh, version is more accurate. And also, um, their printing is is bigger, like it's nicer, the print is nicer, the, uh, the margins are wider. So you can see all of the art, um, the font choices are better. Like, you know, so for aesthetic reasons, Yen Presses is certainly superior. But in terms of the translation, um, Tokyo Pops is much more natural. It, it, yeah, it pretty much always reads and looks like people talking, except when it gets to the internal monologue. That's when things get dicey, um, especially in later volumes. The internal monologue is dealing sometimes with very with the vagaries of a very context-heavy language, Japanese, and trying to give words to that uh, in ways that are confusing sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, when it gets really dark and emotional, I would say that Yen Press's version is better at conveying the intent in words that that are a little more natural. But when it comes to people just talking, uh, sitcom jokes and stuff like that, Tokyo Pop's version is much more natural. It's funnier. The uh, Yen Press version feels like reading anime subtitles sometimes. It's kind of janky. Like it's it's much more accurate to the exact nature of what people are saying, but mm-hmm. it doesn't it's it doesn't sound like a conversation and that's a that's a little more helpful for us for a sitcom for jokes and stuff like that where you just kind of want to get the vibe. You don't need to know exactly what Japanese reference this person was making. You just kind of you just kind of need to get the joke. And so I go back and forth. I like both of them. I think if you're a nut like me that you should read both of them. <laughs> um, uh, and I think if you've never read the, read the manga before that either one will serve you fine. I, I would say don't expect to maybe laugh much at the jokes in Yen Press's version. I don't, they just, they don't really pop. Uh, you don't really get why it's supposed to be funny. But um, you will cry more, so that's, there's that. There you go, um, trade-offs. You gotta cry more, right? So, um, but you know, I like both. I would definitely advocate for both. I'm glad I have both. So yeah, the other thing is the Yen Press's version uh, did not carry over any of the commentary that uh, Natsuki Takia wrote in mm. the late 90s and early 2000s. And a lot of that stuff is really interesting and fun. Uh, but she requested that it be removed because it's not relevant to her life now, which I understand it's 20 years old. Yeah, for me, I liked not getting distracted by the commentary because then I have to oh, spend yeah. so much more time reading. But like, mm. at the same time, I'm like, oh, but that's you don't get as much historical context with it. The historical context is that she was playing a lot of RPGs at yeah, the time. Yeah, of course. I was like, but it's probably just her talking about music or whatever they normally write in these stupid markets. <laughs> Definitely. She she talks about how many JRPGs she plays. Yeah. I was like, I don't really need that. That's fine. I'm not. I'm fine not being distracted by that. I think the yeah, there were certain things in Yen Presses where I was like, I don't think I understand what's going on in this situation, to be honest, or... Yeah. Like there would be a scene of them just like talking and there would be a tonal shift and I'd be like, I don't understand the connection between like how we got here sort of deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the ensemble stuff where everyone is talking and making jokes, it doesn't quite flow. Yeah. I think the one thing I really can't forgive Yen Presses for is Yuki Yuki, which you also pointed oh, okay. out. <laughs> right. So the biggest, I would say the, the only thing that I would say like absolutely wish they hadn't done that it's not just a nitpick it's like 
y'all, this was maybe a mistake, um, <laughs> is that uh, everybody everybody who's read the story knows that Kyo likes to insult uh, Yuki by calling him damn rat or rat bastard or whatever. I, I always liked, it was mostly damn rat, but I liked yeah. rat bastard because... <laughs> That's a real insult in real life. Yeah, like, that's you know, true. <laughs> that's what we call people sometimes if you really don't like them, and I it, it's a and it rolls off the tongue great, and it's it's great. But um, for some reason, instead of damn Yuki, they went with yucky Yuki alliteration because it's like, a pun, uh, because alliteration. But yeah. here's the thing, and and this happens several times with Kyo in Yen Press's version. Actually, I guess if there was one character that bugged me most in a translation, Kyo. It, it, in the translation, it's Kyo talks like a dork in Yen Press's <laughs> yeah. version line. He uses a lot of idioms. He uses a lot of dad joke phrases and stuff like that. And Kyo's dialogue in Japanese, which I'm very familiar with, I've heard it and read it a million times, is like rough 13 year old boy like no creative anything he uses idioms sometimes but they are idioms that have existed in japanese for the, since the dawn of time hmm. and occasionally he'll come up with a with one of his own but it's it's just not very clever he's just not a clever boy uh you know um <laughs> he uh, you know uh he's he's not stupid he's just he's just very crass and he just sort of says yeah. what he feels and in the most direct way possible he's not el- he's not eloquent right so yeah. he's not eloquent and so I think Yen Press's version is a little too cheeky and dorky and eloquent for Kyo. And he, really, he's just saying like a string of bleeps. Like <laughs> he's just not very creative in, in the way that he insults people. So he says yucky yuki, which is not, there's no anger in that. It's hard to imagine somebody saying yucky yuki with like bile or rage. And it's just so silly. Yeah. It's so silly. And he's, um, Kyo is an angry guy. In fact, he's, He's like 99% rage and he really hates Yuki. And when he insults him, it's not trying to be, he's not trying to be cute. He's like, yucky Yuki. He, he. <laughs> he's like, I hate him. You know, he's like, damn rat, damn rat bastard. Like he <laughs> hates him. So it, that was my most like, okay, all this other stuff I can, oh, it's, you know, tweaks in translation, but I really, really wish they hadn't done that. Um, fortunately, it does lessen as the volumes go on. I think they started realizing, oh, this doesn't convey the anger. As the story gets darker, it's like, oh, this really doesn't convey how Kyo feels. So they started using it less, which is good. That's good. But there was definitely the one line he's talking to Toru like pretty early on when they're like on the roof discussing Kyo's master. And Kyo just says, yeah, if if Yaki Yuki went up against my master, his ass would be grass. And I was just like, what is this? I yeah, I took a picture of that and I was like, people, we need to talk. Sit down. We need to talk about this. It's a it's bad. I don't think I don't think Kyo would say his ass would be grass. I think he would just say he'd knock him out like that's, you know. Yeah, the Tokyo Pop version is just like, yeah, the Tokyo Pop version is just damn rat like would be destroyed by my master or something like something super normal. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and there's certainly room for eloquence. And stuff. I mean, when it comes to IMA, you want as you want as flowery language as possible. Yeah. Um, but but for characters like Yuki, I think maybe it was a it was overwritten that's the word for it overwritten it's not bad it's just too much that's definitely so if you want a better kyo read uh tokyo (laughs) sure yeah yeah or or mentally or mentally substitute any funny cute like nerdy thing he says with like yeah just add the word bastard to it and it's fine yeah 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 let's see we got other questions another one was from at metamar on twitter was just like, what is the most powerful, important part of the first third of Furuba? I mean, for me, it's definitely Kyo's true form. 
right. stuff when he transforms into I don't know what to call that. That's like an alien, but like sure. It is an alien. I don't know what she was thinking coming up with that thing. It is very it's freaky, but it's 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 still a little cute. I don't um I think the most important part of Kyo's transformation, but for those who don't know, the climax of the anime the end of the anime and the big turning point in the manga and uh, there's a note in the end press editions where natsuki takia says hey one thing that bothered me about the anime is that for me revealing kyo's true form was like the end of act one was like now we pull back the curtain like okay we've had the sitcom fun now we're gonna pull back the curtain and show you the story that i really wanted to tell you that's that's what she says about it and she says in the anime it was the end of it and it was it ended on this high note with him being sort of healed and accepted for who he is in this monstrous form that he takes on and she said and i thought it came across like oh that's everything's gonna be okay now because he was accepted like that's the end of this beauty and the beast kind of story and she's like and that's not how i feel and i thought that was a really valuable thing to say but i understand why the anime chose that for a climax because come on of course yeah uh, it's a good climax climax. i cried a lot i mean i also cried at the things like you know not just like toru accepting him but everything with kazuma who's his master and who he treats as his dad Mm-hmm. And like just those two chapters, I was like, these are these are the best chapters. It was definitely it's definitely a high point of the story. It's definitely a um, a very impactful moment. Yeah, it's really uh, it's uh, it's hard to pick just one, but and I think the thing that that's that's so powerful about that about that moment is that um, it's not the cliche of this guy turns into this horrible monster and a girl saves him by saying, I love you anyway, you're fine just the way you are. Mm. It's not like that. And I think it's more complex than that. And I think that's the thing that really speaks to people, which is that Kyo didn't want somebody to just say like, oh, it's okay. You know, that's not who you really are. And I love you anyway, baby. Like he doesn't, he doesn't want that. Yeah. Not that Toru would say baby, but but he doesn't want that because that's, um, that's what his mother, uh, we didn't find out. No, I guess we do find out. We don't know exactly how his mother died, but we know that his mother died violently, uh, tragically, um, and that people think that she killed herself. And his mother was not abusive to him. She wasn't cruel to him. She was, she had a Toru thing of always obfuscating her sadness where she was like, it's okay. You're you're fine. You're okay. I love you. And you know, you're not a bad person and it's okay. And she just didn't talk about the fact that he, if he doesn't wear this, basically it's a, it's a blessed Buddhist uh, ring of beads that like basically keeps him under control. If he doesn't wear that, he turns into what is basically an undead blob of, it looks like straight, it looks like a cat that got hit in the road and then all its fur melted off in the rain. Like it is, I understand because yeah. I'm like, what is this? It looks a little like a xenomorph, but it's, I understand the design a little bit when I think of it as like a cat that got like stretch it's dead and it's got like stretched out and all its fur fell off. And they specifically say that it is a dead thing that he is, he smells like rotting flesh. Mm, yeah. And uh, which helps take the edge because it is a little cute and it helps take the edge <laughs> off the cuteness and be like, oh, it is it is a monster. Um, it is uh, this 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 it's like a yokai, I guess. It's like a yokai of, of dead flesh. Gross. And, uh, you know, and so um, but anyway, so but he nobody's talking about this. And so what Toru needed to do was not to say like, oh, everything's OK. Let's just go back to the house because she, she tries to do that. She tries to be her usual Toru self. And he like slashes at her. He, cut, he, he wounds her. He cut he cuts her to their shoulder and scars her, actually. Uh, but what she had to do was to come back to him and say, like, I'm scared of you. I don't I'm terrified. I don't even recognize 
you. Um, I, when you speak, it doesn't even sound like you. It's, I can't breathe because you smell so bad. All this shit. And, <laughs> but she says, but I don't want to be without you in my life. And like, you know, I'm crying just talking about it because it's like, holy shit, you know. And he, and he you know, he, he kind of slowly changes back. And then he says, like, you know, that's all I wanted from my mother. I just wanted her to say, like, hey, this sucks and I'm scared of you and life is hard. But I just I want us to be together. Instead, she just said, like, hey, it's OK. There's no problem. And like, I'm going to take care of everything. And like, you know, oh, I just love you so much. I want you all to myself, which is why I don't put, let people see you. And he's, he's like, that's yeah. not the reason you're lying to me. You're why are you lying? Why are you talking about like this? Like, it's not a, a horrifying and sad. And then she just couldn't take it and died. Um, we don't know exactly how she killed herself, but we'll find out. And that I thought was just a very complex and powerful emotion to express that like, it's okay if you don't love everything about me. It's okay if there's things about me that you hate or are gross or are hurtful. Just as long as you're like, I'm going to be here with you through it, you know? And that was like, oh, Jesus, you know, like throw me into a well, I'm done. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm just going to roll around on the ground and cry. And yeah, and I also like, there's some you know, Toru never says that it's his true form. Like there is all this stuff about it being his true form where clearly it's like right. not his true form. It's, you know, a form. Toru's like this other thing that Kiyo becomes like, yeah, I don't like that thing. That's not fun. And I think it's very much contrasted with the chapter right after it of like, is Kazuma Kiyo's true father? Like what, what does it mean to be true here? And like, what is just right. another what's form? Real? Yeah. What's yeah. real? And it's such a big, it's such a big thing because, and I think while the story hasn't become explicit about this necessarily, it's definitely giving you more than enough subtext where you can kind of figure out where it's like, oh, the curse is family. You know, <laughs> like, you're like, what's the curse? Like, what's the Zodiac curse? And it's like, the curse is that you can't choose your family. And in Japan, especially, you can't escape your family. Family is uh, very important in Japan. And it's important over here. I, I think people don't really realize how important and accepted that, like, you act a certain way around your family or your family is a certain way in America, even until they're not in that position, until they're on the outside, until they don't have a family anymore. And in Japan, it's even more so because your family dictates for so much more of your life under the government and social security and everything like that. Like you can be you can lose your job because your father went to jail that kind of thing. Mm. And it's uh, so uh, really the Soma curse um, is being a Soma is being in the family. And I think that uh, when when they talk about like Kyo's true father or his real father or his other form, like, you know, his family is going to tell him, oh, this this nasty, stinky, undead thing, that's your true form, that's your real self, and we have to cover it up with these bees. And really he's in that position because of the curse. It's not his fault. It's because of something that somebody else did hundreds of years ago. It's it's um, But they blame him for it and they say, well, you know, if we treat you this way, you know, we can accept you so long as you accept that you're worthless and you have to do everything that we say you know and that's not real like that's just that's just your screwed up family that's not the way the real world would view you and and toru kind of brings that to light when she says oh this is this other thing this is not your natural self that that's just this other thing that you have to live with and yeah the same thing is true for for uh kazuma it's like he's not his real dad and he he obsesses over that a little bit because he's like i don't I don't want you to be my real dad because that means that you're going to get hurt and you're going to get blamed for things. And because this family is a curse, I don't want you to right. be my real dad, but he, but he is his dad. He's become his dad in every, in every sense that matters, you know, yeah. that means anything. And, um, you know, that, that idea of choosing your own family, even though like technically Kazuma is a Soma technically, but you know, mm. he's Ko's real dad. We haven't met him yet, but he's, he's not a good guy. And, 
you know, to, to have somebody that, that you can accept as a father and it doesn't really matter whether he's your father on paper or to the government or to the rest of your horrible clandestine uh, family, you know, he, he's his real dad. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely like playing with, you know, the whole family bonds and like what's a healthy family bond and what is actually just like bondage tightening you up sort of deal. Yeah. What is what is obligation? What is, oh, well, you're part of this. You're this. You're the rat of the Zodiac or you're the ox of the Zodiac, which means you're like this, which means you have to fulfill this role, which means that you're this tool. And that that comes up near the end of volume eight, where Yuki says, like, you know, I'm supposed to be the most blessed member of the Zodiac. Like, I'm born with even better looks than everybody. Like, all the Zodiac members are handsome. And I like that Natsuki Taki gets away with this by saying, like, oh, that's the curse. They're, like, extra pretty <laughs> because because of the curse, right? Yeah. Um, because they're blessed by these spirits, uh, possessed by these Zodiac spirits. And uh, Yuki has the most. Like, he's the most blessed. He has, he's good at, ev- he's, he will be good at like absolutely everything that he does. And he's like the most handsome and pretty because he's like beautiful, like a girl and beautiful, like a boy, Yeah, which he does. He doesn't like, he just wants to be manly, but it's not, that's not <laughs> Whatever. the life he was born into. Yeah. yeah. And all this stuff, but he's like, but I, but I'm just treated like a tool. I'm just swapped around because I'm like, I'm like a valuable item. I'm not a person. You know, I am the role that I was born into. I'm not treated like a person. And, you know, it, it's it's really, I think, thoughtful and uh, powerful to talk about this stuff that way because that is the, how some people are raised within their family. And some people never never realize this. They, they, they grow up and they, they never come to terms with it because it's just accepted that whatever your family says about you, they know you best, is, is right. If they're not doing something outlandish like rejecting you or beating you, then that must be good enough. But um, the Soma family isn't like that. It, all, this, all the abuse that they carry out, for the most part, I mean, there's some beatings, but we'll get into that. For the most part, the abuse that they dole out is, is um, structural. It's um, just integral to the, the society's, uh, to, excuse me, to the family's structure. It's just how they treat people. It's just emotional neglect. Yeah, and that's contrasted with, you know, you see Toru's mom and not everybody's parents outside of this Zodiac Soma family are great either. Um, but you Yeah, know. there are some problem families, but there, there are some very loving families. And there are one or two loving families in Zodiac, but I don't think we have gotten to them. Yeah, we haven't gotten it's, to them. It's, it's made it clear that it is very difficult to be a loving parent in the Soma family because you are under so much pressure and you're basically inducted because the Soma family is gigantic and people get inducted, which is what happens to Momiji's mother. She's just like a nice German lady who met a a Soma guy in university in Europe and married him and had a kid with him. And then she had to be dragged to the Soma complex. She had to move there immediately when she had a child because of the blood, right? That, that was the rabbit of the Zodiac. So she has to go live there. And so she has to she has to go live in this completely foreign place with all these people that she doesn't know in this like harsh, rigid, weird family structure with this child who has weird gifts and talents and she can't hold him without him turning into a rabbit, yeah. which is really weird, right? And so, and it breaks her and she can't handle it. And she's just like, I just, I want a normal life. And so it's, it's not so much that every Soma is just mean. It's just, it's that when you live under abusive conditions, abuse is cyclical. You can't, you know, you can't be the person who breaks the cycle when you get drawn into it. And, uh, you know, it's tough, which is why it's like, oh, geez, Toru has like this monumental task ahead of her if she chooses to pry too much into this family. Yeah, at least Toru's not very, she's not very prying. She's just like, oh, someone's come up about my life and then I hug them and just because I want to see what, <laughs> what, what animal, animal they are. are. Yeah. <laughs> That's the most impetuous that Toru ever gets is she's like, 
I'm gonna do it. Yeah, she's like, <laughs> I'm oh, gonna do it. Oh my you god, know. this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, oh. it's really very rude, and she knows it is, but she can't help herself. She, Sometimes she, it's, nece- it's necessary. Yeah, she loves holding the cute animals. She can't help it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would do it. I, I would be. I could never be in that position because I would just be hugging. I would just be hugging people anytime you got on my nerves. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, well, yeah, well, you know what? Grab. You're a, a fight rat with somebody now. and How you shut him up. Well, now you're a pig. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, we fit better in. I would fit in better in Ronma one half, I think, where they sort of do that all the time. <laughs> okay. Well, we have two more questions. And I think one of them dovetails into this, like, family stuff. But uh, it is from Atmum. Bayat Movies on Twitter. I think I said that at right. Mumbiat Movies. Mumbiat. Okay. But I will read the second question first because I think it, it goes more into what we've currently been talking about. So it's, do you see Fruits Basket as a humanist parable, i.e. about rejecting the potentially oppressive aspects of religion, or is it more nuanced in its attitude to faith slash belief? Well, so I, interp- I internalized and related to Fruits Basket as somebody escaping a religious family structure that made them cult-like and, and like the Soma family in many ways. But I think that um, Fruits Basket itself is not directly concerned with religion. It can be applicable mm. to religion uh, because it is like it, it is literally a god ahead of the Soma family and these animal spirits that entertain him and uh, this giant legacy of money and, and stuff like that that they kind of surround themselves with to pretend that they're happy and they're not. And I think that there are definitely parallels to um, a really harsh fundamentalist Christian or otherwise religious upbringing in other countries or whatever. But J- Japan is very agnostic as a country. There aren't particularly strong strong religious factions there. Uh, Things are more based around societal norms and uh, governmental stuff like that. Anyway, but like uh, my my point is it's more social than it is religious pressure. And um, so I think this, the intent of the manga was to talk about humanism rejecting like the omnipresence of family and where you're from and what that means about you. Because, uh, right, because family and where you're from and what that says about you is so important in Japan compared to America. Um, So, but I think it can be applied to all sorts of things. Anything where you are, you know, you're being judged for or perceived, I think that Haru's story factors into that really well, where Haru is the ox of the Zodiac. And so he's the butt of the joke about being, uh, butt of jokes about being slow and stupid because, you know, the only thing that's said about the ox in the old fairy tale is that the rat jumped on his head. The ox was like, I'm going to be the first one there. And the rat, (laughs) and the rat jumped on his head and rode him all the way to the bank. It went and jumped off ahead of him so he could be the first one. So everybody's like, ha ha, the ox got taken advantage of and he's, he's dumb and he's gullible and he's slow. And Haru internalizes that. And Haru is very smart, as it turns out. Haru is not, he's a poet. And most of, we're introduced to him, like, sort of making, like, wry observations in, like, quiet, poetic ways. He's not, like, affluent, like, uh, Shigure or Ayame or anything like that. He's, mm. he's, he's slow and he's quiet and he says things slow and steady and direct. But he speaks poetically and he's thoughtful. And he's very, um, he's a very good judge of character and he's very empathetic. But he internalized all this stuff about I'm dumb and I'm slow and, and all this stuff like that because it's what people told him entire, his entire life and it made him angry. And it literally resulted in a split personality that was rebellious, you know, that's, that's sort of angry. And it's, it's, that's part of the curse too is that there are some characters that have these uh, animal traits, animal instincts that break out. And in his case, he has a black and a white 
patch patch to his personality, much like a cow does. Um, yeah. Where the white the white is his true self, and the black is this rage monster that comes out because of how he's treated, of how poorly he's treated in the family. And that's a pretty good metaphor for uh, how how um, how repressed emotions can uh, can lead to uh, basically a version of you that's not you lashing out and rejecting everybody and getting angry. Uh, but anyway, like, so, so, but all of this happened. The only reason that any of this happened is because everybody told Haru who he was supposed to be and in a negative way and, um, or just at all really. And told them like, this is your role. This is who you are. And we're just going to make jokes. We're, it's all good fun. We're your family. We love you, but we know you're dumb and slow. And you know, there's no excuse for that. Like you can't judge somebody based on what you think they're supposed to be based on who they are in your family or whatever the case may be. And, and so I think that Takia was talking about, um, things like that that can apply to a, religi- a religious upbringing if you're like, oh, good Christian boys and girls should be this way. But it mm. can also apply to um, an, an agnostic or atheistic family that treats uh, that treats family members that way, as it did with the Soma family. Although I guess, I mean, I guess their religion is the Zodiac, right? I guess. Yeah. I, you, you have no choice but to believe in it if you turn into an animal when girls hug you. you know? Yeah. You just have, it's not a religion. It's just a fact, you know? Yeah, I guess the religion part is that they're always like, well, we can't defy Aikido. Like, mm-hmm. Aikido's will is everything since right. he's supposed to be God or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, similarly, I can see the cult-like aspects of the Soma family and all these things. I think you can read that onto it, but I don't think that's like ex- an explicit textual mm-hmm. thing, you know? They are definitely a cult, though. Like, that's just, they live in a compound. They, they can't live in a defy. literal compound. That's yeah, what it's called. Yeah, they live called. in a literal compound. Uh-huh. They can't defy Aikido. So, like, I guess if he told them to go, like, Jonestown on that, they'd have to do it or something. Yeah. Like, you know, sort of deal. Who knows how many generations, how many generations of the Soma family there have been. Like, what the, what the heads of the family were like and what they told uh, the Zodiac members to do because they I mean they have to do it but, and the thing that's really fascinating is that there's this entire like legion of servants and people who have been with the family forever either are directly Soma members or like distant cousins and they just want a little taste of that power and that money and that prestige so they do what Akito says and they don't even have to the Zodiac members like have to they don't have any other choice if so, if they if you told them to jump off a bridge they just have to go do it and it's uh you know, it's kind of a screwed up situation. Definitely. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that the belief that it deals with, since this asks if it has a more nuanced attitude towards faith slash belief, again, is not a religious thing. But I think the core thesis of Fruits Basket is about believing in others without any preconceptions and yeah. loving them unconditionally despite their flaws and all these things. You know, like Toru's mom's... so. I guess I'm trying to think of where to start with this. Like the thing that I did not realize that has truthfully stuck with me the most from Fruits Basket is apparently this like, you know, Toru's mom is like, it takes more courage to believe in somebody. Like it's really easy to doubt them. So it takes more courage to have belief in somebody being good uh, than being bad. And Momiji tells this whole story. Momiji is like trying to convince Yuki and Kyo to not think of people as foolish. So he tells this whole story about some book they read in class that's like about a traveler who gives up everything for all these people that he meets along the way as he's traveling. They're like, give me money for my child. Give me this. And everybody's like, he's just being tricked. Like they don't actually need that money that desperately. And now he has nothing. Eventually he gets like 
he's only a head, then he loses his eye. Yeah, just... we should clarify, he he runs out of town and goes into the monster, excuse me, goes into the forest and there are monsters there who are like, I could really use your finger. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> you know, I could hey, really use up? your arm. I'm hungry. My my child is hungry, that kind of thing. And, you know, and he's like, all right, I wish you happiness. And um, I wish you happiness with my finger. <laughs> that's what he says. He just yeah. over and over is like, I wish you happiness. And, you know. Yeah, but eventually then at the, he dies. <laughs> eventually he dies because he loses basically everything except Every his head. Body. Yeah, like he's he's fine. So then you know, Momiji gets to the end of the story and he's like, "Do you really think that that person was foolish? Like, I think that that person was a wonderful person for you know, because basically I think this is an SJW story. <laughs> it's a social justice warrior story. <laughs> it, but yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> about like don't blame the victim, blame the system that." Blame the system. And yeah. the is... people who were crappy to him, like, you know. Mm-hmm. And and he's like, you know, I think that that person was wonderful because all he wanted was for other people to be happy. Um, yeah. And he said, and he got what he wanted. He said, he that guy died happy because he was able to give to others, even if they didn't appreciate it. That's what he really wanted to do. And he was doing it for no other reason. And he's like, do you really think that that person was foolish? And it's like, and I, and admittedly, like not, not everybody should be that person but it is it's good to have people like that in the world and i think that a lot of the foolish traveler it's, it's funny that you bring that up because that is a story that i think a lot of people if they're gonna start disagreeing with fruits basket or going oh i can't go there like the foolish traveler is a sticking point for people oh yeah Ooh, I, about I've this noticed controversy. Um, that was well that was and and i did get that far in the radio drama and i remember that being the most discourse heavy episode because mm. um, most of the others would be like, oh, you know, I laughed, I cried, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but this was like the most like, I don't know how I feel about the message of the story because it's, it's not right for you to certainly not stick up for yourself and allow you to be taken advantage of. And it's and it's true, like Toru does need people protecting her and she does have to address some of the emotional coping mechanisms and problems that she has that are unhealthy. But that doesn't come up till later. So but later volumes of the story will absolutely challenge Toru's beliefs and way of life a little um, through another character that appears that's like male Toru um, (laughs) who who goes through the pain so she doesn't have to but that will come later and but I think the point that it was making is not that everybody should just give everything to everyone unconditionally I think it was like because you have people like this in the world you know other people can survive and and wouldn't it be great if we could all be happy just trusting and giving to one another unconditionally you know and acknowledging that that's not possible but like wouldn't it be great if we could and it's like wouldn't it be great if you flipped your worldview to think that he was the good one and to actually be like hey those people were shitty like exactly it's not so much that like oh that guy is the best person ever it's like maybe you should think about it like this was the hero of the story yeah and i think yuki bringing up yuki because yuki does have a line when they're talking about kisa and how, you know, she's being bullied. Kisa the tiger. She's being bullied at school. She stops talking. Uh, she's in this really bad place and all these things. And they're like, well, Kisa is really, really kind and all these things. And Yuki's like, so, you know, some, somebody with like Kyo would be like, you just need to learn how to beat people up or whatever, you know, mm-hmm, sort of yeah. deal. But Yuki's like, you know, getting strong is good. Being strong is good. But it's not like the answer. And we are taught that society is fulfilled by this, you know, survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. But like, you need to be tough because other people are going to bully you. And he's like, maybe tell people not to bully you. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe pe- tell the bullies to back the, f- you know, off. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Yuki's like, 
And he just says, but we're, we're not animals, we're human, like equating that kindness is the thing that makes them human. And mm-hmm. he's like, you know, maybe we should just learn to respect each other, like, because that is the thing that will make us human. Animals just fight on like instinct and all these things. Right. And we're trying to reject our animal forms, clearly, because... Yeah, and it's like, well, you're judging us as, as animals, and you think it's okay to, to treat us this way because of it. And it's, it is an interesting way to tie the Zodiac thing into, like, broader themes about about compassion and love and stuff like that. I think that, like, the the manga's first radical statement in that regard, because it, it gets a little radical with, with how it <laughs> talks about human nature. It does. I mean, all this stuff is reassuring, but I think it wouldn't be powerful if it didn't have some balls to it sometimes, and it does. I think that the first time the, the manga makes a radical statement or a thought-provoking statement uh, about humanity is in the fourth chapter, where Toru, sweet adorable, optimistic, loves everyone Toru, says that her mother taught her that people aren't born kind, that they aren't born good, which I thought was like kind of, every time I go back and read that, I'm like, oh, it's so weird that, and the Empress's version is actually more explicit about this. Um, Tokyo Pop's version, one of the other things they did that's not great characterization wise is they made Toru more of a doormat and more like just kind of a babe in the woods, like starry eyed. They made her a little less astute and... Hmm. In, to- in the Empress's version, she she has moments of self-loathing. She has moments of not aggression, but like standing up for people. And I mean, you can see that. I mean, like she pushes people and pulls people away from bad situations and stuff like that. Like throughout the manga, she's not like a she's not completely doe-eyed, doesn't know what's going on. And she tells Yuki, who is like, oh, I'm not kind. The only reason I ever do things is because I want people to like me, and that's not kindness. You should do it with no ulterior motive. And she's like, there's no rules for kindness, Yuki. (laughs) She tells him there's no rules for kindness. Nobody's born kind. She said, we relate to, we understand selfishness and cruelty because everybody is selfish in the exact same way because we come into the world selfish. All we want is food, attention, like babies just scream. They do not care about the feelings of the parents. They just scream. Mm. They, they don't have the ability to care about. Um, she's like, so you don't start with kindness. As you grow older, you learn what kindness is. And then you choose to be kind every day in your own way. And for everybody, that's different. Kindness takes on completely different shapes depending on who you are. And that's why it's hard to trust people because what kindness is to the way that you express love or kindness might be different from how somebody else expresses love. So you might be hurting each other because you just don't understand the, that person's version of kindness and you know and as it's kind of a radical statement it's kind of um a big deal for this like really sweet i just love everybody character to say you know people aren't born kind they aren't they have to choose it and they and they'll choose it in, in ways that are different from one another so there's misunderstandings right and it's like oh right toru is really uh you know toru is really emotionally intelligent yeah, Toru is really, really astute. I think the Yen Press's version definitely made me like Toru more because I, I felt mm. her astuteness more. Like, mm. yeah, what she's she's just good at seeing how everybody's kindness takes shape because I think the end of that scene with Yuki is her being like, your kindness is like a candle. Like, it's mm-hmm, soft yeah. and like it like lights up suddenly and all these things or whatever. And mm-hmm. so I think... And, and Yuki blushes. Yeah, and Yuki blushes. Whatever, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not a not a Yuki girl, I see. No, Kyo all the way. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like Toru's just good at being like, I see that everybody else is trying to be kind. And, you know, specifically with Yuki in his relationship with his brother Ayame, you know, I think Toru is like, I see that they don't connect. 
Yeah. Uh, but I think they are both, both definitely trying to connect. They just like can't, but they're both trying to be kind in those yeah. things. Yeah. It's it, because Yuki's personality is just like, I want everybody to like me. I will do, you know, he can't really be himself. He's perfect at everything, but it's because he is pushing himself to always consider others' feelings and be like, I'm weird and terrible and I don't want anybody to know that. So I will just act, you know, like he, he hates himself, but he has to act like, in a way that he where he thinks everybody will like him right and ima doesn't give a flying flip what the world thinks of anything that he does at all he is just (laughs) following his id and following his passions and he's even though he lives under this curse like he's i think atakia said like he is the least afflicted by the curse because he's just one of those people who just doesn't care what other people think about him he has like two friends he has two (laughs) friends and uh and another yeah we do we have met her as of yeah we have met her Uh, a sweetheart slash I guess she's like his she's another one of his best friends but you know he has feelings for her I I do it's weird because I think he also has feelings for Hattori but they just didn't I guess we can kind of (laughs) address the elephant in the room that um there's a lot of gayness in Fruits Basket but it's never really yeah there's no gay couplings it's 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 just there's a lot of bisexuals there's a lot of bisexuals is the answer to it. Yeah, there's a lot of cross-dressing too but it's kind of negative and stuff uh so I guess I, I actually thought that Fruits Basket is pretty positive on cross-dressing, but that's neither here nor there. It's uh, either way, the, the reasons that characters cross-dress is multitudinous and the um, <laughs> yeah. the bi-ness of, of half the cast is is very hard to ignore. But anyway, all this to say that Ayame has like two friends and a sweetheart and that's all that he needs. And he doesn't give he doesn't give a crap if anybody else likes him or not his mom the teachers anything he just follows his bliss and so yuki can't possibly understand him because because he was you know he was raised with very different expectations and he has very different trauma and uh ayame was part of that because he ayame wasn't there for him when he was a child so um you know but he's but ayame doesn't apologize for this in the right way because he just doesn't know how to cater to other people's feelings because he just doesn't do it he only cares about what he wants to do so you know it, it's fascinating they both care about each other and they're both trying to reach out they just can't quite meet yeah toru has to help them she needs to guide them a little more <laughs> but uh she needs to help them by hiding a snake version of ayami because ayami is the snake in her clothes so he can spy on their conversation yeah which was a weird scene <laughs> It's fine. I, Ayame is, is using that snake form to his advantage a lot of the time. Um, he does. I, you know, if you just turned into a snake when it got cold, wouldn't you? Because that's yeah. the rough thing is because he's a reptile, like of the many like hiccups that various Zodiac members have. He, he like can't stand like an unseasonably cold April. He turns into a snake. And it's like, that's got to suck, though, because Japan could get real cold in winter. Is he just like stay? He, I guess he just wears like big fur coats. He just stays inside. Okay, so I guess we can move on to our last question. It was actually about the radio drama, which I guess came up with the traveler story. But um, it is if you were adapting the manga as a radio drama now, what would you change from your early efforts and why? Uh, just on a dumb superficial level, I believe I changed first year, second year, third year labels to like freshman junior and senior and i just skip sophomore because i thought it would be easy that's such a dumb <laughs> it's such a dumb pedantic thing but it always bugs me like america like, can't can't do this yeah so. I, yeah i americanized it a fair amount i didn't americanize i don't know I, I picked and choose what i americanized uh obviously i would just little things like i wouldn't have uo say uh the r word because she says it a couple times uh like stuff like that but uh i don't know i mean 
I guess if there was anything I could have changed, it would have been like to start it in the era of Patreon where I could have kept it going. I don't know. But um, I, I don't know. I, I was happy with, honestly, I had no resources and like very little time and everybody was just doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. They weren't getting paid. So I'm really proud of what I did. I guess I would just want more resources and that I, and I would modernize it. Uh, the way I would modernize it now is to take into account how much anime anime fans know about Japan and I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change first year, second year to, um, to more American terms or anything like that. But, uh, you know, I was really happy with the work that I did on it. So I wouldn't drastically change anything. I would just want more resources to be honest. Okay. Fair enough. So I feel that most of what we had written down for themes did come up naturally in this question segment. So we can skip to art corner unless you have objections. No, no, not at all. Yeah, there's, I mean, honestly, there's so many stories in those first eight volumes because every chapter is kind of discussable. Like, I'm sure I missed some of my, some things that I, I like about the manga, but there's just no way to like sort of cram it all in. So I know. Well, normally I, I do a character walkthrough, but I was like, that's going to take forever if I do There's that. so <laughs> many and we haven't even met them all. We have, there are two somas that we haven't really met we we met she had like a line at the end of volume eight uh we met rin soma yeah but we've met almost all the zodiac haven't even filled out the zodiac and (laughs) a bunch of non-zodiac characters like there are simply too many that's the other thing i like about it is that like um i like stories that have like a bunch of different characters and they all sort of have their own emotional thing that's unique to them and yeah if, if you like that fruits basket's a playground because it's got a bazillion characters and they're pretty much all done justice the worst thing that happens is that um if you like ritsu he does not show up again yeah <laughs> ever ever like, he's referenced sometimes but like and he has a good story and i really like ritsu's story but he doesn't appear again he's he's fine He'll get over his trauma. It's okay. It's <laughs> yeah, fine. He's, he's fine. He's fine. And so, so like, the worst thing that happens is that, like, Ritz, and Ritsu gets the shortest stick of anybody, um, and he still gets a good story. So, like, everybody gets gets a really nice um, exploration of character. Yeah, and I'm sure they'll, they'll keep coming up. We have two more podcasts. We'll make sure we'll be, like, did we check a box yeah, to talk yeah. about? Who else, who else do we leave out? You know, we, yeah. we didn't even talk about uh, Hattori's... Um, I don't know. I really liked uh, Hattori's story, but it is it is like more melodramatic than most of them. I would say it, it uh, you know, goes has, like has violence it goes and zero to sixty really fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> real quick. You know, yeah. I think the thing I liked most about uh, Hattori's story is the idea that he um, that other that he thinks because he loved and lost that that's the best he can do because other member he knows. Hattori cares so much about everybody and he knows that all these other kids in many ways had it worse than him, partly because of him. It's his job to erase memories of people that have learned about the secret and aren't supposed to know. And so he's hurt people because he's erased uh, memories of family members and friends and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And he's like, look, I fell in love with a woman and I had two months, just two months where I felt safe and happy and accepted and that's it. And I don't need any more. And I, the, the thing I think that moves me about Hattori's story is that even though he has all these effed up relatives, they still come through for him and say, no, you deserve more and like push him to find love again, which, you know, and I'm sure he will someday in later volumes, but you know, it's like <laughs> that, that I think is the most meaningful thing is that it doesn't, because I feel like there's a lot of anime that do that with an older character. Where he's just like, I'm too old and I've loved and lost. And that's the end of their story. Like mm. he's, he's 28 years old and he's, <laughs> he's just going to watch over the teenagers because he lost his waifu. Like that's a lot of anime. And you know, I like that fruits basket is like, no, your, your life's just starting. 
you just learned you learned from this really awful experience and you can you can keep going forward and i like i like that a lot about hattori's story yeah and then you know since hattori is the one who can erase memories it reminded me that i like momiji's line where he's like, mm. I want to remember all my memories. Oh uh, God, I will. I will just start crying profusely if I have to think about Momiji's <laughs> oh, story yeah. <laughs> okay. because it's so good. Well, no, we should talk about it, but it's so good. <laughs> They're happy you know. tears. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I, I should clarify that um, uh, Shigure is my favorite. Momiji is a very close second. In fact, I think in this, I don't use Skype, but so I used, a, I made up a Skype name for us to just for us to just do this and then I'll uninstall yeah. Skype, but it, it is Momiji Soma because I love I know. It. I thought you were going to say Momiji because of that. <laughs> and then you uh, did, you know, I, um, I guess, I guess I couldn't talk about him yet because Momiji's biggest developments haven't happened yet. He is, um, Momiji is like Toru, but, but has suffered more. Like he is, he is a little perfect. Like that's the other thing is like Shigure has so many problems and so many flaws. Momiji is just a very, very good boy. You know, um, he's he's gone through so much hardship and he's come out of it like very self-aware and astute and understanding about about his emotional problems. And like, that's really inspiring. Like Momiji, like needs the least amount of therapy of everybody. And it's not because he didn't go through less hardship. He went through more, you know, so yeah. he needs he remembers it all because he wants to learn from it and not exactly. hide from it. Exactly. He doesn't, uh, Yuki and Kyo and a lot of these other, uh, chuckleheads, uh, bury their feelings. (laughs) And Momiji says, like, I think about this every, I, I never want to forget what my mother did to me because even though it hurts, I know someday, someday it won't because I I get to watch my little sister grow up, you know, and hopefully interact with her someday, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, let me tell you that tore me up also as, as somebody who has a little sister who is still in the family that I don't speak to anymore. And that I was very close Aww. to at the time. So, you know, maybe, you know, it's going to take a long time, but maybe as my sister reaches adulthood, you know, things will change. But I, I have to hold on to that because what else are you going to do? You know, you can't uh, you can't bury those things. You can't just say, like, I'll forget about it. I'll move on. You have to you have to live with it and you have to, like, live with it until the pain is um, manageable. Yeah. OK, so you relate to Mamiji a lot then. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I'm not, a, I'm nowhere near as cute or fun as Momiji. I think like my sense of humor <laughs> is more acerbic, like, uh, like Shigure's, but Momiji is just, I don't know. He's just like a guiding, a guiding light that everything's going to be okay. Kind of a thing. And so he's, he's pleasant to have in the story. And he's still a little bit of a pervert. Like he's not, he's not like pure. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> I look like I'm eight, but I'm actually 15. And I want to sleep with Tor's <laughs> I want to sleep in Tor's room. And it's like, you know, you're 15 years old. You're not eight. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't know that you know and you know but i can't blame him because that's the other thing is like that is a we don't get into it until later volumes i guess i keep saying oh it happens in later volumes but like <laughs> momiji is you know a little resentful of the fact that his curse that his aspect of the curse i don't know what is some joke about the rabbit and and youth or something like that but that he looks like that right that he's oh, yeah, to- yeah, so totally. tiny but he embraces it to the fullest he wears the girls oh man Okay, if we have to talk about one thing, I don't want to leave out Haru and Momiji coming to school for the first time and the comment, okay. the great commentary on uh, Japanese school uniforms and wardrobe. Um, oh, yes, cohesion. they have a great battle about it. It's really good. I thought it, it's especially because it was written in like 1998 or something like that. And it was like, this is this is cutting. This is great. 
But uh, yeah, for uh, those who don't know, Momiji and Haru, uh, Momiji being the rabbit and Haru being the ox, come to school and they can't do anything about their hair. That's the other thing that makes the Soma stand out is that the curse gives them the hair color and the eye color of the animal that possesses them and they can't do anything about it. So the schools just kind of have to allow it. I assume they're paid handsomely by the Soma family to just sort of let it happen. But he comes to school in the girl's uniform because he's a bitty and it looks cute on him. Like he's wearing, Yay. I think he's wearing pants. He's not wearing a skirt, but it's, yeah. it's, um, but it's cute. It looks great. The little sailor uniform looks much better on him than the, um, the collared suit. And the student council president, who is just this stick up his ass, like, <laughs> yeah. hey, again, with the everyone is bi, although I think he's just gay gay. He's, <laughs> he's uh, got a big crush on Yuki. And uh, he comes stomping down the hall and he's like, Momiji, you can't wear that girl's uniform. Don't you have any pride as a man? And he's like, well, it looks better on me. I don't, it looks better on me. Stop picking on me. And Haru like turns to him and says something. I don't have the exact translation here, but he's like, if I wore a three piece suit, does that mean I'm not uh, a yakuza, like a thug? Does, does that make, oh, does that, oh, oh, you should, you should respect this guy because he's wearing like uh, proper attire. And he's like, and if, if I didn't have ears pierced, does that mean I won't kick your ass? Because I will. I will do it right here, right now. Yeah. He said, I could take out these piercings. I could dress exactly how you want me to do. And I will still kick your butt because I'm still badass. And it's like, yeah, like the clothes, it, all the stuff is, he's, he's saying you, the student council president argues that you have to wear these clothes because otherwise everyone will be uncomfortable. It's not fair to the other students if you don't look exactly like them. And he's like, if I look exactly like them, I'll still be different on the inside. And I'm like, yeah, you, you tell him, you know, <laughs> I'll still be different on the inside and I should do what matches my heart. And but he says that in a badass Haru way. Yeah. Um, and then the student council president, because he's still like, well, you can't prove to me that that's your natural hair color. I know everybody says, oh, your natural hair color. So you don't have to <laughs> dye it, but you can't prove it. And then the best joke in maybe all the fruits basket happens because <laughs> he takes he takes the student council president by the collar. He takes him into the men's room. There's a pause. The student council president comes out of the men's room and he's like, the evidence is irrefutable. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, there's there's many mysteries in the world that are unknown to me, and you know what he did, but they don't ever say it. But it's great. But then Toru just, asks, and that's she what does. makes it funny too, because she's like, "What did you show him in the bathroom?" And you're like, "Toru, <laughs> Toru, no." <laughs> the carpet matches the drapes. Pure, uh. pure innocent Toru. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess, okay, that scene is good with cross-dressing cross because I think also Yuki and Kyo are like, can't he just do what he looks better in? Like, just leave mm -hmm. him alone sort of deal. <laughs> I guess the cross-dressing bothered me with Ritsu because they were right. like, he dresses in men's kimonos or whatever and he needs to grow out of that. Yeah. Women's kimonos. And he needs to grow out of that. And I'm like, eh, does he? Like, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, well, I, I, I read the... Um, I, I just read that chapter because I was wondering about that myself. I read it in the new translation and it's a little nuanced. So none of the family has issues with him wearing, excuse me, none of the, none of his non-parents. So Shigure and everybody else don't have problems with him wearing women's kimonos. They think he looks beautiful and they're like, you look great. You just fine. But the problem is that he has a problem with it because he wants to be masculine. And that is its own, you can deconstruct that as to like, okay, but if he's more comfortable in women's clothes, he shouldn't hate himself for not being masculine. And like, and ultimately what they do is encourage him to like, okay, well, you know, you can do these things to make yourself comfortable enough to wear men's clothes, which I think is constructive and healthy, but there's also the matter of, well, you know, could he just, couldn't he just, and also the way that it's written, it was written in like, you know, 1999 or 2000 or something like that. And the way it's written, it seems pretty clear that Ritsu, Ritsu makes more sense as like a trans woman character. Yeah. Um, it makes it, that's kind of one of the only 
things that make sense about it uh, is that he's a closeted uh, trans woman. But the the story doesn't take it that way. The story takes it just in the direction of, well, he's happiest in women's clothes, but he hates himself because of this because he feels like it makes him feel weak. And so I, I didn't have a, I wasn't offended. I really wasn't offended by the way the story is told. It was just sort of out of date, I think. And uh, but I, I appreciated the nuance of it. And certainly he wasn't being shamed for wearing women's clothes. The issue was more that he can't stop apologizing and self-loathing and causing problems for people because he's like, I know it's terrible that I wear women's clothes. Yeah. We don't care. Shut up. You know, like that was the, the real issue was that he was so self-hating about it and that his parents obviously didn't approve of it. But they don't come back into the story. Again, we never hear from Ritsu again after the whole, yeah. um, after Tora's message to him, which is valuable. Her message to him is, you know, we're not born with like a purpose that's given to us that we have to be that way. We, we have to find our own purpose. We have to find our own reason for living. And if your reason for living is if, if you want to wear, wear women's clothes or if you want to become strong enough that, again, this is a problematic thing to say, but if you want to become strong enough that you don't have to fall back on wearing women's clothes to be comfortable, then that's that's your decision. There's nothing written in the stars. It's you choose your purpose. And then that seems to do it do it fine for Ritsu. So we just don't see him again after that. Yeah, he, he's, <laughs> he's he starts like dating He starts dating Shigure's editor, and we assume that love solves his problems. Yeah, which is seated in this. So I was like, oh, they're definitely a couple. Yeah, it's just totally. They're fine. Yeah. Yeah, they're fine. They are definitely together. They're an item. Their their anxiety can drive each other insane. Yeah. That's the other thing. Is like I'm not sure like the most anxious person and the most anxious person should, should be, be dating, but they but it but it seems to work out because they just commiserate on what's making them anxious and it calms them down and it's fine. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of weird. It seems like maybe in the long run that could be a problem, but you know, it's sweet. Yeah, so I guess it's just my problem with Ritu is that I'm like this does feel like something that's from the 90s where it's like mm. it doesn't want to admit that he's a trans woman but that's fine whatever we can't yeah, we can't it can't yeah. be perfect <laughs> yeah, of course not and that you know that i think it being of its time is part of what gives it its charm it's like hey isn't it great that these things were being said in this manga in 1997 and then but at the same time it was 1997 you yeah. know so you, you go back and forth you go back and forth on it yeah so I guess I just wanted to address the art, which does change a lot throughout the story, but early art discussion, <laughs> uh, because it is very cute, despite having a lot of same face and uh, roughness to it, I, I feel. I love whenever the characters, um, you know, Kyo will be a human, but then he has cat ears and a tail and stuff. I'm like, yay, <laughs> he looks so cute. And I think yeah. that's part of what draws people in. Is the art again? I feel like Fruits Basket has a lot of things that people on the surface are like, it's fun because it's a reverse harem and like there's such cute art, they're animals. And I'm like, that's all just a, that's just a marketing ploy to get you to <laughs> read yeah, something right. real deep. Get, we're gonna make you feel, damn it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the early art, um, I wasn't drawn to the art as much initially. It is, ooh, very 90s. And it's also, um, <laughs> I think early Takuya art was really, really busy. There's a lot of mm. line weight. There's a lot of line weights. There's a lot of uh, screen tones that are like different screen tones in a small space. Like it's just busy and it gets dark sometimes because there's so much inking and so much happening in the frame. And then as time wore on, um, and also after, so it should be noted that Takaya um, is left-handed and right, weirdly, right after the Ritsu chapter, which we were just talking about, her, she had a, a injury or slash disorder to her hand where she could no longer move it. 
Yeah. And um, so she had to take a break for a year and undergo a surgery that made it so she could move her left hand again. And she had to retrain herself how to draw. So the art does change. There's a little bit of a rough period and then it just comes out completely different. It's kind of like when somebody goes into a coma and then they wake up and they speak in an accent or something like that, which that's not common, but it has happened before um, where mm-hmm. somebody will speak English with an accent after they come out of a, a, a brain injury. And it's kind of like that with re- her retraining her hand because then her art became much more, I thought it's, it's much stronger, but it's much sparser. It's not as cute and energetic. It is like a lot of space and a lot of creative use of space and a lot of color blocking that is not busy. It's like tone, it's like specific tones that like, are kind of minimalist. So it's, it's usually like beautiful bodies in a sort of a spread that is, um, that gives you a lot of space to work with and to breathe. So there's a, the manga is a lot more, um, but, but the art is stronger. Like it's much cleaner yeah. and like the, the line weight is very thin and the colors are not, um, or the, the screen tones are not like, there's not a bunch of different ones. It's like black and then white. And then there's a very soft gradient of gray. And, you know, so it's very different, but it fits the tone of the, the story is had gotten so dark by that point that it, it's, it fit better. Even the jokes were like, you know, there's not a whole lot of high energy. It's, um, it's much more pass. It's much more peaceful and, uh, room to breathe, I think. Yeah. I think what's trippy about even from a character design point, like reading the Yen press, additions is that you know the covers and stuff have their later uh right character yeah. designs and then you open it and you're like ah that's not what toru looks like though <laughs> right here like mm-hmm. those giant 90s eyes yeah giant 90s eyes are not conveyed in this new cover <laughs> what's up yeah. um need to read the tokyo pop one for that i guess i don't know <laughs> right yeah so i i prefer her her certainly to to her old art but i mean i love all of it and i love the story underneath it which is what matters most but yeah okay so this time this is the chinese i mean fruits basket is all about the chinese zodiac and Mm. normally we do a love quiz but for now uh buzzfeed has a quiz that is can we guess your chinese zodiac based on your taste in food quiz Mm -hmm. so we're gonna see if it can first we have to establish what chinese zodiac sign we actually are we're both snake if we're no, you're not I, snake. <laughs> I'm the horse. I was born in 1990. So, oh, see, I was born in 90, but like before the cutoff, like five days before the January cutoff. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, no, the yeah, horse yeah. is the <laughs> horse is most of the year, I think, and the snake is early. Well, it's, it's good that we're not the same one. So that's true. That's good. Okay. <laughs> so the question, the first question is, what's your favorite way to eat potatoes? And, of course, there are going to be 12 answers, so prepare yourselves, y'all. It's <laughs> curly fries, cheesy baked potato, tater tots, mashed potatoes, french fries, crinkle cut fries, sweet potato fries, potato wedges, hash browns, chili cheese fries, in and outs animal-style fries, or sorry, I don't eat carbs. In it, I like how that's really specific. Like, if you don't live on the West Coast, you're not going to know what in and outs animal-style fries are. But we both do, so we know. <laughs> yeah, right? So, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Definitely not those because those uh, in and outs fries are pretty disposable. <laughs> um, I'm torn between mashed potatoes and sweet potato fries. I'm going to go with mashed potatoes because mm. sometimes you got to be in the mood for sweet potatoes. I think I'm always okay with mashed potatoes. <laughs> That's a good reason. I'm torn between mashed potatoes and tater tots, and I think I'm going to go with tater tots just to be different from you. <laughs> that's a best plan, yeah. Okay, now it says, now pick a sweet treat. Red velvet cake, brownies, banana bread, carrot cake, frozen yogurt, Ben and Jerry's pint, deep fried ice cream, cupcakes, <laughs> chocolate chip cookies, 
apple pie, pumpkin pie, and Rice Krispie treats. So difficult because mm. they're all so good. Um. <laughs> Those are all really good. <laughs> I'm a pie kind of guy, so I'm trying to decide between apple and pumpkin. <laughs> okay. I think pumpkin is more seasonal. I'm going to go with apple. I think I'm going to go like solid banana bread. Always gets me pretty excited. I'm not going to lie. Banana bread is great. <laughs> yeah. Next question is, what's your guilty pleasure? And the options are apparently, uh, you know, bad chain food restaurants. So we got Chipotle, Popeyes, McDonald's, In-N-Out Burger, Domino's, Taco Bell, KFC, Dunkin' Donuts, Steak and Shack, Jack in the Box, Burger King. Ew, none. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got to go with In-N-Out. Uh, that's definitely the the most like not death tasting of the of the fast food chains. I would say your it, California it tastes, it tastes healthy. Yeah, yeah. Well, it tastes healthy because it's just a very light burger. Definitely not Chipotle. I hate Chipotle. <laughs> Chipotle is like so gross. Anyway, <laughs> what about you? I think I actually want to go with Popeyes. I know I'm shameful, but like no, not at all. I, it's better than KFC. Yeah, no. Somebody had Popeyes on the bus the other day, and it just made the bus smell so good. And I was like, I hate you right now. <laughs> no, I, I, Popeyes chicken is a respectable choice. Absolutely. <laughs> Okay. The next question is, how about some seafood? We've got shrimp. Mm, how about it? How about it? I don't know. Shrimp, oysters, lobster, salmon, octopus, calamari, mussels, crab, cod, tuna, scallops. No seafood for me. To be honest, I am not a seafood person, so I think oh. I have to choose no seafood for me. Which is a picture of Regina George for some reason. <laughs> yeah, for some so, reason. Yeah. Oh, man. I like all this stuff. God. Oh no. This, right, this is difficult. I like <laughs> I, I like all of these and I'm not like super pumped about one over the others. I just like seafood. Let's see. Well, I think it's it's in keeping with my slightly bland uh choices so far that I pick salmon. I eat probably more salmon than any of the rest of this. So I I eat more salmon. I'll go with that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. What's your go to breakfast? We got pancakes, waffles, omelet, scrambled eggs and bacon, avocado toast, uh, Captain Crunch. Millennial jokes here, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Millennial jokes. Our West Coast is showing again. <laughs> Oatmeal, mm -hmm. a Kai bowl, uh, fruit smoothie, cream cheese bagel, eggs benedict, cinnamon roll. Ooh. Straight to the cinnamon roll. I, I don't <laughs> eat. I, I actually only eat bananas uh, and like apples and stuff for breakfast. So if I'm going to have like a more substantial it's going to be something disgustingly sugary <laughs> interesting i probably am just going to go bagel because that is what i was like this is a cheap meal to have in my days where i could not afford real food and I was like, no totally i feel yeah. you yeah yeah um what's your favorite fruit we've got banana apple cherries mango blueberries pineapple strawberries kiwi papaya raspberries orange, and grapes. I like all of these. I eat bananas more than any of the rest of these, though, so... I don't know. It's not my favorite. <laughs> You're like, but what they're just there. <laughs> yeah, they're there. So what, do you, what do you think? I, I aspirationally try to eat a lot of strawberries. Like, they're good. They're sweet. I like to put them on waffles when I do have a waffle. Or maybe a bagel, you know, just sprinkle some. <laughs> Cut it up, put it on right, top. I think I think my favorite is mango. I don't have it very often, but if I'm going to pick like a flavor of something outside of just eating the fruit raw, I think it's usually mango. So I'll go with mango. That's fair. That's a good reason too. I do like mango flavored things as well. Ooh, cheese question. Which cheese, cheese. does it for you? 
mozzarella, smoked it's a goda. a personal BuzzFeed. I know. Cheese is very contentious. Okay. Cheddar, <laughs> brie, uh, camembert, blue. Uh, it's so weird to just say blue cheese without blue cheese, cheese at the end. Yeah. <laughs> What's up? Colbert, uh, Mon- Colby Man- Monterey Jack. Long name, hard for me. Cream cheese, uh, Adam. I don't even know that one. Adam. Adam. Uh, Adam. I am yeah. not cheesing well. Apparently, feta, gorgonzola, and parmesan. Not that I have strong feelings on cheese, but probably brie because it's a little creamy. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Hey, we got the uh, same answer on one of these. Oh yeah. boy. Okay. What chip are you bringing to the party? Nacho cheese Doritos, pirate's booty. Tostitos, salt and vinegar Pringles, Lay's Classic, sea salt and vinegar kettle chips, Lay's Barbecue, Cheetos, sour cream and onion Pringles, salt and pepper kettle chips, Lay's Sour Cream and Onion, Flamin' Hot Cheetos. Okay, 100% Pirate's Booty. Like, (laughs) It's real good, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, I like Pirate's Booty a lot, but I eat more original Pringles than any of the rest of these, so I gotta go with Pringles, to be honest. Okay. That was right. the final question, and BuzzFeed, you mm-hmm. cannot guess what <laughs> zodiac yeah, sign I am. Yeah, you couldn't do it, yeah. Because I got dog. It called me a pig. Oh, rude. <laughs> How rude. Uh, the dialogue for dog is fantastically fabulous. Absolutely. That sums up these beautiful creatures. The dog is arguably the sweetest anim- animal in the Chinese ast- astrology. Simply put, they are happy-go-lucky, cheeky, kind, thoughtful, understanding, generous, and selfless. Is that Shigure? No. <laughs> no. But that's, well, that, that's the enigma of Shigure. Like, I, I guess when we get to that part of the story, I will, like, explain what I, I think Take was doing by giving him the opposite personality of his animal. Uh, yeah. From, uh, because I, the, there, is a, there is a sort of a twist. To, that's what he says about, like, oh, I'm not, like, I, I, my curse is unique from the rest of you guys' curse, and I think that that's... You know, I can't spoil why, but once we get there, it's like, oh, that's why he's a little bit reversed. He really, he really is very much like his zodiac animal, but it just seems reversed because of the circumstance that he's in. (laughs) Pig is loving, caring, thoughtful, honest, genuine, and happy, sociable, selfless, understanding, compassionate, adorable, and positively cuddly. Which, (laughs) I mean, that's certainly true of Kagura. It's just that she also she feels all these things a little too strongly and gets violent sometimes. Yeah, as. Many characters are want to do, apparently. Yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> it's like, here's their normal answer. personality. Yeah, here's their normal personality, and then they have violent outbursts. So. And Keo is just always somewhere, like, solidly in the middle. It's always a little ready to have a vi- violent outburst at any moment. <laughs> yeah, at any time. <laughs> any time at all. So we're not going to have a shipping corner, but I think we do have to be, like, Yuki or Keo. And <laughs> explain. Right, yeah. That's, like, who did you want Toru to be with when you were now, as a child, like, whatever. We have to, it has to go, be out there. Right, yeah. You seem to be Team Yuki. No, not at no? all, actually. Okay, good. I was just, I was, I was teasing you earlier because I was like, oh, you, you know, Yuki clearly has a thing for Toru. But, um, no, as, uh, when I, I actually am really proud of a prediction I made when I was a teenager reading the manga. It's, it's nothing to be proud of, but I was very <laughs> proud of it. But I was very proud of it when I was a teenager. I made a prediction within the first couple volumes of the manga that everybody laughed at me for. They were like, oh, that's, that's weird. Like, that's, that's kind of screwed up and weird and it turned out to be true it actually turned out to be exactly exactly where the story was going and i was so i patted myself it was the the 
uh, only like exact prediction that I'd ever made about Fruits Basket. <laughs> but like the, the long and short of it is that prediction allowed me to say that there's no way Yuki is going to end up with Toru and uh, definitely she should end up with Kyo. So I was I was Kyo and Toru all the way, I would say. Okay, I know what you must have predicted then. But we right, will, yeah, we will I was like, I don't it. think Yuki likes Toru like that. I think Yuki likes Toru like this. And people are like, that's weird and creepy. And then you get to the manga, it's like, I told you. <laughs> You're like, I knew it all along. <laughs> I knew it, you know. It, I think it was because I understood I understood the psychology a little bit. Because, like, again, like I, I related to Yuki, and I was like, I, I feel like I understand what this guy's looking for, and I don't think that he, he's, he's trying to date Toru. I think he's, there's something else going on with this guy. That's fair. I just I think I just liked Kyo and Toru better and I think I do not understand Yuki as well. Perhaps it is also that his his mysteries are drawn out very long and hinted at very sparsely throughout each chapter and you're like, "All right, Yuki, he's secretive, yeah." Wait, lay it on me. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just ready. Tell me how you feel when he's like, yeah. "No." And he's like, "No, I just hate myself and whatever." And I'm like, "All right, come on, Yuki." Right, yeah, keep it in got to get there. Yeah, but I, I think, I mean, when you, and just regardless of whether or not, you know, you like one character or more or the other, I think that um, seeing Yuki and Toru together, it is like, it's just kind of pleasant. Like, she doesn't challenge him. She helps him, but she doesn't like, I don't know, like, if they have a conversation together, I think Yuki and Toru, you could see it, like, it would look like a conversation that Toru has with any number of other people. She's she's being nice. He's being nice back. They're just kind of bull crapping about, like, basic stuff. And if she has a conversation with Kyo, it gets weird very quickly because she'll say something to him and he's like, that's weird or that's dumb. And she's like, well, I don't really think so. And then he like, he like blushes. He's, she's exposed him in some way and then he's embarrassed and he blushes. And then he's like, you know, don't, don't wander around like a space cadet or you'll or you're get in trouble. You, know, yeah. you can wander around like a space cadet if I'm with you. That doesn't mean anything weird. But, yeah. but you can if I'm with it, – it's just so much more entertaining to watch them sort of fumble around each other. So I think that's, that's part of it as well as you just kind of want to see their rapport grow, whereas with Yuki and Toru, things are immediately already pleasant. And, but she doesn't really – she doesn't pry. You have to pry with Yuki. She heals him in other ways, but she doesn't pry into his business, whereas Kyo just dumps his business everywhere and she kind of has no choice but to stumble over it, you know? Yeah. Well, I think they also have better, you know, she, I think she is trying harder with Kyo too. Like she goes up, she climbs up to a roof with him. It's like, she teach does, me martial yeah. arts, like punch. And he's like, oh my God, that's pathetic and sad. But yes, like. Yeah, it's really cute. Yeah. So they have better, they have cuter scenes. I'm like, obviously. Team. Well, she has, well, she has the garden with Yuki though. She helps him grow. <laughs> that's, his, no. She cooks the food that he grows. He grows food and she cooks it. <laughs> Ugh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think they uh, they all belong together in some capacity. They should all live together happily forever. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they yeah. do. They do for several years for certain. Yeah. Okay, so I guess it's weird to ask if we have any final thoughts since we're going to do two more podcasts. But you know, if there's anything you want to bring up now, desperately, <laughs> now's the time. I guess. I guess. Um. So I. Uh, a, re- a scene I really like that um, I'm trying to think of like stuff that really sums up the manga's emotional message, which you were talking about earlier as being like, you know, the, the need to trust in people and to um, throw away prejudgments or misconceptions and just believe in people and that they will become their best self if you believe in them. Mm-hmm. And um, I think one, one scene that always really struck me because I, I remember, so I'm one of, I'm one of the people who doesn't like the Evangelion TV series ending very much um, for people who've seen Neon Genesis Evangelion. And um, 
I've come around on Evangelion over time mostly because the rebuild movies have been so good and they've addressed a lot of what um, the issues that I had with the show and its its message and its framing originally. Um, and I don't think Evangelion is bad. I think it's very good. It's just that the ending really bugs me. And uh, mm-hmm. as it as the ending as it was originally written for the TV series, end of Evangelion is great, but it's a it's a downer. <laughs> it's a downer. So that's a whole different conversation. But I think um, I remember Fruits Basket. There's a scene that really meant a lot to me because it it put into words again so so many scenes in Fruits Basket align with like things that I believe deeply emotionally. Things that is like yeah, I really feel that way or that really puts into words how I feel about an emotional thing. And um, the, the scene where Kisa, who we were talking about, gets bullied, and unlike the, uh, the, Soma, the, the older Soma boys who also went through bullying, is, um, is just really hurt by it and really, really recedes into herself and um, mm. shuts down. And so she stops coming to school, and she just, she just stays with Toru for a while because also she can't stay with her mother because her mother is reaching the breaking point as a Soma, as a Soma mom. And... Uh, with Kisa. And so she's, you know, her mother, her mother can't comfort her. She's got to stay with Toru and the family. And then her teacher sends her a note home to, I mm. guess, try and fix the problem. And the teacher's note is, is quite terrible. Uh, the teacher's note is like, um, well, you know, we all hope that you're coming back and I will be here to support you, but you know, it's really up to you to um, make a better impression with the rest of the class. And I think that you're getting picked on because the other students can sense that you don't like yourself. And so I would encourage you to think about your positive qualities and to embrace who you are as a person because there's no way that somebody, and this, the letter ends with, as if it's a, as if it's a fact and it's really cruel and, and upsetting to read, but it's something you could totally imagine someone writing. Like there's no way for somebody who doesn't like themselves to be liked by others. Right. You have mm. to like yourself first. Yeah. And Evangelion isn't saying the exact same thing, but that is the gist of uh, Shinji's uh, roller coaster uh, therapy session is that I think it's easy to misinterpret or easy to boil down to. And I think this was a problem with the execution, not a misinterpretation that Shinji just needs to like himself and then he can move forward. Mm. That he just has to accept that like my life is worth living. And even though I'm depressed and maybe nobody likes me, like really I just have to, nobody else will understand you. So you just have to accept yourself. I think that is a line in the Evangelion ending where it's, it's, uh, nobody else will ever understand you, so you have to be the one to stick up for yourself and say, "I understand my, I understand myself, and I love myself." And you have to make that choice. Mm-hmm. And I understand what it's saying in a positive way, but it always really bugged me, and I really didn't like it. And and so, um, and seeing it in Fruits Basket, I, uh, seeing that letter, it reminded me of why. And Yuki's retort to this, he's like, "What is this supposed to mean?" He gets angry, which we don't see Yuki angry very often at all. He says, "Yeah, what." What do they think you're supposed to do? Just like find your positive qualities. He says, I can do that, but it's an empty exercise. Just saying like, oh, I'm good at, and Yuki's good at a lot of stuff. He has many positive qualities. You know, he's really, he's really handsome and beautiful and people love him and he's perfect in academics and sports and all stuff. Like, uh, but he's like, I can't just uh, count up the things that are good about me because it's a hollow exercise because at the end of the day, I still hate myself. And if you hate yourself, then it doesn't matter how many positive qualities you point out or how much you go like, I have to love myself. You can't do it. And he says, what, it, what you need, what any, everyone needs. And this is, this is an onus on, on the rest of the people. It's not on you is that you need somebody who says, I like you just the way you are. You need somebody to say that to you first. And he said, and then it's a process after that you can start to accept that, you know, there are things about you that, that are, that are lovable and that, 
that you have the right to live as a person because someone cares about you. And that was like, oh, that's the truth to me. That's what I yeah. find meaningful and helpful. And um, and I think it, it's difficult because that can also be misinterpreted as like, oh, well, if nobody likes you in your life, then that's your problem. Like, you know, that you can't move on unless someone says I like you and accept you first, which is difficult because you can't tell somebody that either. You can't be like, oh, well, somebody will, you know, it's nobody else's job to save you. And I definitely don't think that's what Fruits Basket is saying. It's not that somebody else has to come in and save you. It's that there is somebody. And I think this is true for, you know, just about everybody in the world. There is somebody, even if you don't get along or even if, you know, your relationship with this person isn't perfect, there is somebody who loves you just the way you are. And you have to look you have to see yourself through that person's eyes and you have to, um, so rather than saying no one else Mm. will understand you, you're the only person who can understand yourself. It's like you in, in the process of coming to understand this person who says they love you, you're, you're trying to understand them because they say they love you. And it helps you to understand yourself because you are thinking outside your own mind, which is all, you know, busted and twisted and confused and hurting. And, and so I, I really preferred Fruits Basket's message of looking outside yourself to Evangelion's, I think not fully intentionally, but maybe accidental framing of, oh, well, look within yourself and you'll find that, you know, since no one else will understand you, you have to love yourself. I don't think that, I just don't think that's that's helpful. And I think it has helped a lot of people break out of depression. And so obviously it means a lot. And so I don't want to diminish Evangelion or say that it's not helpful, Mm. but Fruits Basket was the thing that broke me out of that broke me out of many, many troubles that I've had throughout life. And I've, I've come back to it. And I think it's because of that message of like, look, reach out to other people, you know, because you need, we all need to support one another, you know, and you can love yourself when other people love you and people do love you. And that's, you know, so I thought that that was, that was the message that I wanted. And, you know, screw that teacher who wrote that letter that says, well, you should just stick, you should just love yourself and everybody else will be drawn to you. And he's like, that's not the answer. It's not the answer. I mean, that's just such a stereotypical, like, self-help thing, too, regardless Mm -hmm. of Evangelion. I'm just like, no, that's not how anything works. And I agree. I really loved Yuki's, like, surprise anger and his eloquence about, you know, it's not even having somebody else love you. It's, like, seeing yourself through other people's eyes and understanding them and being like, okay, I can understand how the world sees me which can help me interact with the world then in a way yeah, that is it's like this person loves me. Why? And, you know, in answering that question, you know, you feel, you feel more, you know, sane and real and like a real person because other people are loving you or reaching out to you, you know? And so, yeah. but I, I understand that's going to be very contentious because, you know, you can't live your life relying on other people. I don't know. And also that's a very big cultural thing. It's like in, in Japan, there is more, of um, a pressure on you live your life to make other people comfortable. And Fruits Mm -hmm. Basket, on the one hand, is saying that that's good because it's saying we all need each other and we should be empathetic and trust one another. But it's also saying that's bad because it's like, uh, because living your life to please other people is part of the Soma curse, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a tightrope. And I, I don't know, I like that the, the manga is so thoughtful about all these feelings. So, yeah, I yeah. guess that's my biggest takeaway is I really like that scene with Yuki. <laughs> it's a good scene. And yeah, it's like Fruits scene. Basket is not, I mean, it's so hard because in Japan, it's in contrast to America where we're so like individualistic and all these things. So yeah, yeah. we're probably like, no, this, the thing where you have to love yourself first is better and all these things. And I'm like, no, okay. But <laughs> I think Fruits Basket overall is very good with the nuance of all its arguments and yeah. they can be misinterpreted. Sure. But like, 
that's you're just not trying hard enough if you think i mean there's 23 <laughs> books and it, it it just it's 23 books of like fleshing out its emotional arguments so there's like it's very hard to take away a black and white anything uh, yeah. ironically a black and white anything from <laughs> from fruits basket it's just, it's just you can yeah take yeah he's black and white um but uh it's uh you know it's just it's just buckets of nuance and you just get to kind of peel through the nuance and say what you agree with and what you disagree with and yeah there's things i disagree with in fruits basket i can't i can't think offhand because it means so much to me but like that's the fun thing is finding little things that like exploring your reaction to a piece of art and yeah. thinking about why why you think a certain way so yeah i think what struck me about that scene too is the like believability of how crappy that teacher's letter yeah. is too because i don't know for me one thing that really stood out to me in high school was i had like a suicidal friend and i kept trying to like help her and i tried to get the adults to help her and one of my teachers we had a mutual teacher and this teacher was just like, you know, you can't save somebody who, like, doesn't want to be saved. And I was just like, you just said that to a 15-year-old. Like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, I'm God. so upset by this. Like, yeah. This is a terrible thing. So I, like, believe that teachers, you know, like, that teacher has her heart in the right place or their heart in the right place. But, like, that's a bad letter, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think she's just ignorant. And this is, and I think that's why the Soma curse has lasted for centuries is that it's hard to reach out and it's hard to... The, the pressure is there to be like, well, you know, you're making everybody else is fine because you're keeping your problems to yourself. So you should just continue doing that. And it's not helpful. It's not healthy. But yeah, like uh, Fruits Basket, it's real good. It's and so good. It makes if me you feel feelings. <laughs> yeah. You will feel all the feelings. You will laugh. You will cry. Mm-hmm. You'll do both at the same time. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Reread it because you're like, oh my God, it's so good. <laughs> Definitely. I. Uh, it, it means a lot to me. I think it is. Uh, a formative piece of media for me and uh, definitely always going to come back to it. So, yeah. And we have even more to discuss in the future. And that's only the yeah. first day. Oh, we've only scratched the surface. I mean, mm-hmm. Kyo's true form is just the beginning, right? Like, yeah, it's on. the end of act one. The curtain is down. Toru <laughs> yeah. knows that the, there's something sinister about the Soma family. And it's not just Akito and his bangs. <laughs> yeah. His evil bangs. I did love when Toru shoved Akito. I was like, that is so good. That's some yeah. powerful stuff right there, Toru. Like, oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I she says, and that's the thing, like Toru is astute. Like it's um she uh she says like his words are gentle. There's nothing violent about his bearing. There's nothing like it's nothing where she feels like she has to. And she's seen Violet. She's seen Kyo yell, I hate you and I'm going to kill you at Yuki over and over and over and not broken it up because she's like, ah, you guys. But yeah. <laughs> all she sees Akito doing is just like gently talking to Yuki about how he should come back home so he can be reeducated and in very nice, friendly terms. And she says, nope not doing that you know and she just shoves him and it's like yeah you know she cuts through the crap and she's like i realized for the first time she said i'd never before met somebody where i understood like real animosity like real there's there's a different translation i think animosity is the word that uh tokyo possible version uses but like Mm. malice you know she's like Mm. i never scenes of like where like everything about their bearing is like kind and nice and normal but like it's evil under there and before but before you write akito off as just the evil thing that needs to be defeated you know oh boy are we gonna explore yeah, some layers gonna... of that like akito is not the final boss you know oh so. we'll get to akito that's what i'm gonna promise you as i read this outro <laughs> all right everybody thanks for listening to shoujo and tell comments questions constructive criticism concerns 
need to tell us who your favorite Soma is, some favorite scenes. There's so much you can write. Just write an essay to us. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Email shoujoandtell at gmail.com or leave a comment on shoujoandtell.com slash fruitsbasket1. There's going to be at least three fruits baskets, so hold on to your hats there. Yes, uh, yes, yeah. Uh, we're at shoujoandtell on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram. Uh, Jacob, where can people find you and your work on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at itsbonedaddy. That is I-T-S-B-O-N-E-D-A-D-D-Y. It's Bone Daddy. <laughs> and um, uh, you can see all the stuff, anything that is an editorial on, uh, anything that's like a review or an interview or an editorial on AnimeNewsNetwork.com. Uh, I help produce that, put it together, you know, uh, all that stuff. And uh, Fruits Basket-wise, uh, I will, if that's cool, I don't know if there's links in the description of this, but I yes. will link to that radio drama that I made. Keep in mind, I made it... Um, Eight years ago now. Oh, my God. I'm so old. Um, <laughs> I made it eight years ago and that it's a little rusty, but I but I still but I worked really hard on it and I'm still happy with it. If, if anybody ever anytime anyone tells me that that meant anything to them, it is just it really, really uh, touches my heart because it was a it was a labor of love and uh, for very little uh, response. And it, it, you know, it means a lot to me. So, uh, yeah, and I'm looking forward to talking about the next two thirds of this uh long manga with uh, <laughs> long with you, actually. Manga. Yeah. yeah if you could leave a rating in itunes or stitcher that'd be great otherwise we'll be back next time to discuss volumes 9 to 16 of fruits basket mm-hmm. so the middle third ish yes. it's an odd number of volumes it was it's weird but we will be sure to count how many times we we cry and then tell you about them. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll keep a I'll keep a tally. I'll be like, <laughs> and I've yeah. got one of those crowd clickers that they yeah. um, that they they tally how many people. And I'm just you have to count the number of tears for each one too. Yes. Like. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So if you want to hear about that, that will happen two weeks after this one. Until then, bye everybody. Bye. Mm-hmm.